Welcome to the Rich Life Projects. Today, we've got a legend in the studio with us today. And uh, firstly, I'd like to uh, thank Stu Laundy and the boys from uh, Laundy Hotels for uh, sponsoring this episode, episode seven. And my special guest, and uh, man, we've got a lot to get through today, Glenn Gorick. Welcome to the Rich Life Project. Thank you, mate, for turning up, and uh, it's great to have you in the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rich. I'm very honoured to be here. It's been a journey from Sydney this morning, <laughs> can I tell you that? 100%, mate. The old flight in and flight out. They're not like they used to be, are they? No, no, no. It was packed, mate. It was busy. But yeah. Qantas got it right all the way. Oh, they never miss a beat. Little plug there, speed. mate, for the old life member. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. What else is, what's been happening in, in Glenn Gorek's life, my friend? It never stops, Rich. Never, I know that. I stops. know that. There's you've, a lot of subjects to cover today. I know. I, I can imagine, mate. I, I know you've probably been stalking me and Googling <laughs> me and all those sorts of things, and I've seen some pop-ups on my mobile phone here when uh, Rich is having a look. Oh, uh, 100%, mate. 100%. Yeah. I've got to have yeah, a look at all you. sorts of things happening uh, when it comes to you, my friend. So what's what's been happening uh, just recently? Anything uh, exciting and What's what's the life of Glen Gorick at the moment? Yeah, there's been uh, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Yep, still doing a little bit of charity work. Uh, still hooking up with my uh, visually impaired athlete. Yep, always my mate. You know, yeah, yeah, old Nathan, and yep. we had a trot in the city to surf just recently. So that was a, a bit of fun. And then two weeks before that, in the uh, Sutherland to surf, which is you know New South Wales' second biggest fun run. So we uh, we trotted down to the the Cronulla Beach, and then we also trotted down to the beautiful Bondi Beach. Oh, beautiful beaches, aren't they? Oh, they are, mate. Well, you know, Stu Laundy hangs out in oh, Bondi Beach, mate. mate. He's, uh, I think that's all. That's the only place he hangs out, isn't it? It is, yeah. No, he's, he's a good man, mate. Just, just on Stu. Um, <laughs> big thank you to him, mate, for sponsoring this. He's a very generous man, as you know. He yeah. does so much for charity yeah. behind the scenes, yeah, and he's yeah, humble. Definitely. Never sticks his head into it, but he's always, you know, opening that wallet, and he's a fantastic guy, very yeah. generous. No, I fully agree, mate. He's a, he's a great man and does some great stuff with his in the community. <clears throat> so, professional athlete, successful businessman, New South Wales Police Sergeant, and NRL, the Cronulla Sutherland Sharkies, the director, one of the most sort of identified uh, celebrities, I, I could say, in, in the Shire. <laughs> Talk it up. <laughs> <laughs> and and a car racing or uh, enthusiasm. So, mate, going back, let's, get, let's go right back because obviously there's a lot of subjects and your life is probably the most busiest life I've ever, ever come across. Back in the early days growing up, obviously uh, your father, uh, Robert, who was one of the so-called NRL st- stalwarts they say you know what what was you know obviously being around the NRL from such a young age uh just talk a little bit about your father in regards to him being classed as one of the NRL stalwarts because obviously it would have been back in the day when rugby league was a very tough sport um you know and yet you know they had to go to work and then they had to play not like these days obviously no. but totally different look dad uh my late father he 
was really hooked on rugby league from a very young age um, and later in life obviously became an administrator and he was recognised for that. So he was a big part of Sharks for 40 years. He was the junior and the senior president down there, spent a bit of time running for the board like me and he um, he was always doing all the junior rosters right across the whole of the Sutherland Shire and, and a lot of the NRL stuff. Yep. He, uh, he was doing the rosters for all the juniors and he'd get up on a Saturday or probably start Friday night and uh, do it all through the, the night until he'd go and leave Saturday morning and then he'd go out and mark fields and organise referees right back in this is the 60s we're talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. junior league was played yep. the same as senior league well, yeah. so you know we were as kids were dragged off with mum and dad to these uh, these matches and of course the minute I turned seven I'm stuck straight into the Como the old Como Junior Rugby League Football Club and we had a full complimented um 7A team yep. and we won the premiership and dad was uh, pushing that with coaching as well and uh, then I went 8s, 9s, 10s then I had a break for a while and came back at uh, 14, 15s, played school league. So yep. my father was involved in all of those yeah. uh, those processes okay. and that part of our lives. Yeah, yeah. And right back, and I'm going uh, back to under sevens is 1968. Yeah. Uh, that's how long I've been involved in sport. Wow, that's yeah, a, you know, incredible, incredible journey there. Yeah, incredible, incredible journey. And we were premiers three. We were the only um, the only Shire juniors team that won three premierships in a row. So, really? Yeah. So right back then, things were starting to evolve where I, I like to do my best at sport. Yeah. And um, and that was instilled in me in me from that point on. Yeah, right. Amazing. So when, in your early days, obviously you had rugby league. Uh, you've had cricket, swimming, uh, athletics, cross country. Where where when the rugby league sort of uh, part? Uh, where did it take over from being wanting to be obviously a rugby league player and then getting into uh, triathlons? Because that's obviously your professional triathlete. Um, where where did that change? What was the a part of change for that. Life takes you on strange turns. Amen to that one. It does. Eh? And injuries also okay. take you on other turns. So um, in I was playing uh, representative football with the police force. So we, we had a um, uh, like a shadow comp to the first grade NRL comp and we'd play um, for the same team. So I was playing at that stage for St. George. And then we moved over to Bankstown, and uh, in nineteen uh, around nineteen eighty six, I was injured by one of my own players in a tackle. Oh, really? That's always the way. Yeah, um, going hard in on the tackles, took out my medial ligament, and uh, and did that. And then that uh, I had that fixed, and not long after that, I also aggravated it on a motorbike yeah. incident as well. So I was right into the running at that stage, and I was um, you know contemplating going back to an athletic sport. And uh, that was the decision that I made when I, I was hurt like that and I was six weeks, I couldn't run, couldn't swim, I was in, on crutches. That whole setup was a, a real mess and uh, I decided, right, oh, then I'm not going to play that sport anymore. It's too brutal yep. and I really respect the level of mm. uh, of the uh, brutalness of it. Yep. You know, they're seeing it nowadays, it's so fast and they, they wear no padding. We had head gear and padding on. The and old shoulder pads. Shoulder pads, yeah. You know, you look, you're six foot, but you look uh, six <laughs> foot wide as well. And uh, nowadays they're built like they're with shoulder pads, these guys. And, you know, it's full time, you know, and uh, I never played um, league in a, at a professional level, obviously. Yeah. I did I did uh, get an offer for a grading down at um, Sharks when I yeah. was for the under 23. So I went down and uh, and trialed and uh, didn't do any good. It's just so much talent around. And again, I, I, my heart wasn't in it after I'd been injured. and. Yeah. 
I was looking for other other sports. I'd moved right away from motorsport at that stage as well. I was, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I joined okay. the cops. Yeah, you know, there was lots going on in yeah, my life. Right it was right. a whole new world. Yeah. for a young man, a twenty three year old man. You yeah. know, so. And that's when that's when you joined the police force when you're twenty three. Yeah, I joined at uh, twenty three. Yeah, I was a late starter. I was an electrician before that. I I, I spent seven years, you know, with obviously with TAFE and yep. study and doing some extensions on the TAFE courses uh, because I was employed by the Australian Atomic Energy Commission, the only mm-hmm. nuclear reactor in Australia. Oh, wow. And, uh, and certainly learnt all about yeah. um, renewables and uh, nuclear power back in those days and carbon fibre even, you know, the, yeah, those yeah. sorts of things. So we were we were very um, privileged to work there yep. and we were given such a, a great um, start in life as yep. a 17-year-old yeah, and to uh, go on to other things where those qualities. Qualifications I still use to this day. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And then you go, so you, you triathlete, you're working, obviously, you're in the police force, but at the same time, you're doing triathlons. You've done thousands of triathlons over the time. Well, probably millions. Who knows? <laughs> Talk it up again, but yeah. But you know, like some of the some of the, you got such uh, great accolades and and respect from other athletes, and and not only just in not only just in triathlons. I, just in general of sportsmen that I have talked to over over the last probably couple of months myself, um, and they you know mention your name and you know they're sort of really respectful of what you've achieved in in uh, triathlons as well. It's, it's interesting, Rich. Um, the triathlon is a, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. So after you. Um, Move away from trying to win everything. You yep. you move into the family side of it, and yep. you you know you get involved with your club, and you you get to do that side, and then the age groups start, and so on. So it's a yep. wonderful sport like that. Yeah. Where other sports, all my professional mates in in sports, when there's a lot of them from different walks of life, we've met through various um, either charitable organisations, yep. or we've met through a, a sportsman's lunch, or maybe we've just through running into each other. Like um, you know, I've met mates at nightclubs that are still lifelong friends from sport because on Sundays afterwards we and Mondays we were all training together and um, the difference with them a lot of them ended up um, stopping sport and then not having anything to go to and struggling psychologically where triathlon allows you to keep that continuing on and it's one of those few sports you know there's guys that are 80 that are still doing it and doing it well and beating you know, 30-year-olds, yeah. uh, you know, Alf Larkin up in the Gold Coast and uh, the old late Bobby Southall, these guys were all doing it in their late 50s, 60s and 70s and beating half the field of the young guys. Wow. They were incredible athletes, you know. No, those are the guys you, know, you want to sit down with and say, what's the mindset? That's because I'm oh, obviously yeah. fascinated with the mindset. But, um, but yeah, just going through those thousands, obviously thousands of uh, multi-sport, um, you know, even with the triathlons and so forth, the swimming, the running, the 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 uh, bike riding. What was the what was the training for that? Obviously, you know, I've done a. Uh, I think I've done one, maybe one triathlon, and it was a team event. I ain't done the run. All right, <laughs> but um, when you're doing the whole three, when you're doing the whole three, I suppose I suppose in some ways it's like MMA where you've got to do a lot of disciplines uh, to um, come to a you know having a, a full. Um, acquired tools in your in your in your sack, um, but what's the uh, when you're doing triathlons? What's the uh, you know all that with mindset going forward in that? Mate, you've really nailed that. MMA, um, 
well, I don't like to make comparisons. Yeah, well, sports yeah, no. are all uniquely different, and sportsmen. Yep. You know, the, um, I've always been, uh, always get, uh, you know, very careful and guarded over comp- making comparisons, uh, especially with individuals. You know, because there's so many guys that are so much better, and you can't compare with them. Um, but MMA, you, you probably nailed that. You know, like kickboxing, boxing, running, jogging, um, all the disciplines, all the all the other alternate. Um, Fitness levels where you get through through the gym and uh, sit ups and push ups yep. and all that stuff yeah. you have to do. Yep. Then the mental resilience to yep. know you get a good kick in the head and you're laying on the canvas, you're going to get back up. Right? Mm. So triathlon, um, there'd be similar traits with that. Where you know swimming, it's not just swimming. Uh, um, you, you're doing a transition to a, a bike, so there's a whole component of just training for that one little window yeah. of two minutes to get it into such a form of a habit that you repeat it. Yeah. identically every time so you don't get penalized you know you're clipping your helmet off and one hand's pulling a shoe on yeah there's so many different things you're doing you know and um when you're converting off the bike onto the run you're coming in and you're trying to balance one foot off the bike and undo your shoes and then step over the line at probably 20 kilometers an hour sometimes and then run yep. with the bike so you don't lose any time get to the no, rack random times everything yep. yep then running shoes on and then coming up at the same time and unclipping a helmet then going out on a run leg and You've gone from swimming where you're probably pushing, um, a, as a young man, 220 beats per minute in your heart. Yeah. Swimming for anywhere yeah. between 750K up to maybe a 4K, a 3.8 Ironman yeah. swim. You, everything is flat out. Yep. pretty much for the professional wow. triathlete. There's no no just having a rest here or there. Yeah, yeah. And then you're transitioning to the bike and your heart rate's dropping. It yep. comes down a lot on that unless it's a really hilly course. You're in a time trial mode, so it's an individual yeah. um, event, except for some of that's changed a little bit with the draft legal races, but certainly you're in this time trial position, so technology's now playing a role like you would do with your boxing boots and your gloves you know, yeah. and, and your padding and so on, and then you're transitioning to that run leg and the heart rate's back up again yeah. and you know you might have someone you're trying to run down as well yeah. so you're, you're pushing so many, beyond so many the facets limits. in there isn't it's it huge and especially at the elite level um you know look oh, you, you know you, you call me a professional athlete um for me we were in the era where you had a job you left the job you tried to do what you could but you always had something to fall back on um we made good money out of it i was very lucky um you know and probably a lot more um, fortunate than a lot of guys were a lot better than me. I was okay. just lucky that I, I had a really good mate. He's passed away, Mark Pringle. Um, the, Mark was Mr. Triathlon in Australia. He was the first true professional, went over to America and raced in the Bud Light Series in the yeah, mid-80s, right. came back here, and he hooked up with um, Carlton United and Fosters. And, yep. and one of my friends said, oh, Pring's got a couple of spots, you know, he wants to have a look at you. So I went in and was interviewed with Brian Romer, who was on the board at the time, and, okay. and that led really to um, a very very good reasonable income back then outside of just trying to get whatever prize money you could yeah. um, and then the Carlton United thing would would go through winter we'd go over and do all the Asia Pacific races and there was a team of us and it included some outstanding really truly elite athletes like yeah. Greg Welsh and Brad Bevan yeah Greg, Greg and, Walsh and is a name that really got some frontline media I believe because even years ago when I was growing up and Triathlon obviously wasn't frontline media, but his name come up a lot. And yeah, from oh, he Hawaiian. was. I, I remember going away with Greg a lot, and we were up in the Gold Coast for the World Cup, and Greg um, was walking along uh, the motel rooms. Uh, it was myself and a couple of other mates, and Mal Meninga, Wally Lewis, and um, 
Laurie Daly were walking together or chatting and they saw Greg and identified him straight away. Yeah, this yeah, was before yeah. triathlon was yeah. real big and Greg hadn't won Hawaii. We were just up for the 1989 World Cup yep. and they wanted to get to know him and find out who he was. Yeah. And they, you know, you're Greg Welsh, you know. So Greg really um, stamped his authority on the on the world of triathlon very early yep. and uh, and went on to win the Hawaiian Ironman. He was incredible, you know, and uh, and he's just a, the nicest bloke you'd ever meet as yeah, well yeah you know he's so humble and he's that, over in america now is so. he living over there lives in america his kids yeah. are in uni and uh yeah i, I speak to greg weekly yeah and, okay. uh, we, we wow, still have it amazing. greg was in my training group you know there's yeah. a, the, i i like i say I, there was all these guys were so good uh, but i was so privileged to train with them like i i had in my training group was the great michael moroni you might have heard hoppo's yeah, just done a yeah, podcast yeah, on did, him I did. incredible bloke mate and what michael has done dr michael moroni incredible and he's still going winning races and getting in the top 10 and he's 55 and he's got five kids that's amazing incredible well he was in the training group and mick we all aspired to be like mick yeah yeah and um well actually aspired to be better than mick because you can't just be like someone else you've got to you know you can't emulate someone else you've got to go and be better than them and um so every training session was was grit and hard and there was Greg, um, Mick, uh, Rick Pallister, uh, Tony Unicum, uh, the Southall brothers. These were a, a very Southall elite brothers, group yeah. of people in triathlon, yeah. and we we're all living in the show and we we're all training together. Yeah, wow. You know, we're very lucky. And McKilly Jones. Yeah. McKilly come train with the men. Yeah, yeah. You know, that right. was all part of the group. Wow, that Incredible. was – Incredible. That would have been a bit of a change for the, you know, where it is now with women and men sort of competing at the same levels now, rugby league, AFL, whatever. But that would have been a bit of a, uh, a bit of a sort of a benchmarker, uh, icebreaker too, in regards to the woman then going into train, especially with the men. Absolutely. You know? McKilly was, um, just a mover and a shaker. She yeah. she would give it to you in training, and uh, she'd come and ride the early morning four thirty a.m. rides. She'd sit there at fifty k and fifty five k an hour. It became so competitive within the training. Um, there was a two big sessions that I always used to look forward to. One was the Wednesday afternoon national park time trial. We'd go up and do it ourselves on a Wednesday afternoon. We'd swim three four kilometres in a session. We'd then go and ride forty two kilometres in. Ex- it's like going up in the Dandenongs. It's yeah, extremely yeah. steep hills. Mike Moroni used to ride that in under an hour. He averaged 42 kilometers an hour in hills like that. Wow. And we'd all try and break the hour. That was our benchmark. To yeah. get, and we'd get close. I only got down to 102. And, and this is on a Wednesday afternoon after a swimming session. So the other triathletes around the country, um, the Miles Stewarts and the Brad Bevins, all started to wonder what these guys in the Shire are doing. And they started coming down to Sutherland Shire and training with us. Yeah. And Brad Bevan, one morning, I remember we did the the other event the, or the other training session I wanted to touch on, and that was the um, the morning pack ride, which would go from Carringbar into Botany and around the airport and back and back to Carringbar. And it was, you know, the same thing. It, it was an hour at 55K an hour. And it was mental. It was like a tour pack ride. And these guys were pushed the boundaries until everyone just got spat off the back that's, of it. That's, that's pretty amazing, having that group of, of those which in the future, which no one ever seen, but had world-class triathlon, Greg Welsh uh, and, and names the Southwell brothers and yourself that sort of went and, and done triathlete or Ironman at that world level. Mm. And you, you guys were pretty much the benchmark of – Australia in regards to the whole, just your small little group was was the team basically. Yeah, correct, and the Cronulla Triathlon Club, the world famous Cronulla Triathlon Club, it's it is world famous. It's yeah. known all over the world in all the other triathlon clubs because it produced one the first Australian 
to break the American stranglehold on the Hawaiian Ironman, which was Greg Welsh. He went over and beat everyone in 94. First time a non-American had won it. He was, Greg was a four-time world champion in four different distances. Come from Cronulla Tri Club, you know. Then you've got Mike Moroney winning everything in Australia. Just about Mike was winning Noosa and, and Port wow. Macquarie and National Park, and you know, and the rest of us were all finishing in the top ten. We were, all, you know, the Cronulla group was so powerful to the point we we produced um, the four or six six world champions, outright world champions now. So we've got five men and one female, which is McKeeley. This is all from this tra- no, one training say, group, just, Chris just McCormack, from, just from that that training group, Craig Alexander, just from this one group has produced these elite athletes on the world stage. And in the age groups, we also have um, our really elite uh, athletes, a, pro- a true professional, Jason Metters, um, come back and won a world championship at 40. You know, he wow. was he was red hot. Jason was in that training group. Yep. And Jason was just a killer swimmer and rider. And, and he was a good runner too, but just not on that edge of the others. Yep. But he'd hang in there and he'd always place in races. He went overseas and he won races in France and all over the place. Gets married, has a couple of kids. Um, gets very lucky meeting a sponsor over in Namia when we used to go oh, over and yeah. do a race in the sun. And he took him took him all over the place and sponsored him with mobile oil and then they ended up oh, in wow. Dubai and Jason's, you know, coaching the the Saudis or whoever it is over there, yeah. he coaches, the police teams, the Olympic teams, and he's made a rural career out of triathlon, out of that training group from yeah. Cronulla. Incredible yeah. stories, you know. And is that at present the is that still going strong the the Cronulla sort of triathlon or <laughs> Ironman? It sure team? is, mate. Really? I, wow. Just on Sunday, I went up and did a duathlon with them, a handicap um, duathlon that, that's a run, ride, run event. It's only yep. short. It's uh, two one-kilometre sprints, yep. laps, so 2K run, uh, six laps on the bike, so I'd say about uh, 8K ride and then yep. a 1K sprint finish, and it's a killer. And uh and um, I can't say the words here, but the people who organise it, the, ha- you the can handi- say whatever words no, I was going to say brother. the pricks who handicapped me, put me 100%. off Nelly last every time, you know, I'm 60, <laughs> 60 years of age now, so it hurt. But the competitives are still there. Yep. Um, we're still producing, like Craig Alexander's still um, at 45, still going around winning races, still racing, still coaching. We have a hell of a lot of juniors now, the Woolridge brothers, others that have come through the ranks. Um, our junior program's massive in Cronulla Triathlon oh, yeah. Club, the Galea, the um, family, Mark and uh, Erica, have really implemented this huge training program for juniors yep. and they've all been, you know, they're all getting selected for junior trials now, yeah, yeah. which is world-class level stuff. And wow. they're all, they'll are all they all be off to Com Games and Olympics, wow. all out of Cronulla. Out of, that's you know, that's incredible of for a, for one team. Uh, in the in a, no wonder it's it's massive in the Cronulla then something Cronulla in the area. water mate or the sand hills or the national park rides mate, or, but Cronulla Shire you know, every know. time you you hear of Cronulla Shire and Maroubra area it's always got strong sportsmen and, and strong or strong businessmen and uh, and I've I've never lived in any of those shires but I it's one thing that I always hear every now and again you'll you'll hear oh, from Cronulla Shire or from the Maroubra area or whatever it may be but it's yeah it's oh yeah mate Maroubra's produced some hard core athletes as well. I yeah. mean, look at Davey Warner in the cricket. Yeah. You know, yep. uh, and, and Candice, his wife, she was a great iron woman. That, they're, yeah. they're the products of those areas. And uh, I, know, I know, never knew what uh, she, she actually done. I never really you know, iron woman, what, bloody well, good she, one too. Really? Yeah. Really good one. And and really um, really a hard worker. Yeah. You know, and uh, we what at that stage of my life, Rick Pallister was doing um, the Ironman yep. and uh, we would go and watch all 
or handle for him. And Rick had converted over from triathlon, left the cops like the rest of us, and we were all trying to make money out of these sports. And Rick uh, went up to the Gold Coast and, and went really well. And at the same time, the Iron Woman series was starting to really gain some traction. Yeah, and okay. Candace came into that around, I think it was around 98. Yep. And she absolutely smashed it, you know. And, wow. uh, yeah, so, you know, Davey, well, wonder, wonder what their week, kids will be like. Yeah, hey? oh, <laughs> mate. Well, I've got, uh, I got sort of one of the Maroubra – well, legends or on next week with uh, Richie Vass. Oh yeah, so, but him uh, him coming in. He'll know more goss than me then. Well, it probably you probably know exactly the same amount of goss uh, in that area. Yeah. So you're still uh, still competing in some events uh, locally in the in the Shire. Um, the podium finishes obviously are endless. You wouldn't even be able to name all the podium finishes uh, off the top of your head, which is understandable when you've done hundreds. Tell me with the the two obviously the pinnacle in Iron Man uh, racing or Iron Women racing is the Hawaiian Iron Man. What's how long how long is that race, and what's what was it, what was the experience like for you when you got to that point? Obviously pinching yourself, going, "Wow, I'm in the Hawaiian Iron Man, which is the pinnacle of all Iron Men." I, I take it. Um, what was that? What was that? Like for you. Right. So the Hawaiian Ironman, just for the listeners, it's really important to know, that started in 1978. Oh, that long on the, ago. Yeah, that long ago. And on the island of Hawaii, yeah, Oahu, not Kona, where it is now. Yep. Um, and it pretty much became the world championship long distance race, in, in even in, in its infancy days. Only about 12 did it first up, yep. then it just grew. And Ironman really wasn't here in Australia, yeah, not no. until 1985. Oh, we okay, was trying like, marathons in, yeah. in 991 up at Allura Beach, which was a long race. But this this um, Ironman concept really got put on the map, and well before Surf Ironman and all that sort of stuff, when Jan Wanklin crawled across the Australian woman, crawled across the line in 83, I think it was, and it was telecast all around the world. And I remember uh, – Max Walker on Wildwater Sports and Mike Gibson oh, carrying on about it and then watching wow. that. And they used to then, from that point on, do a full day's coverage on the Ironman wow. and on the and watching. And then in 1987 or 88, there was a big contingent of Australians that went over there after they qualified here in the Australian Ironman, the first yep. one, um, at Foster. And then they went over and, and did the race. And uh, Channel 7, Warwick Sims at the time, he was also doing triathlons, uh, Warwick was the uh, sports reporter, he went over with a Channel 7 crew and they telecast it. So all of a sudden, people sitting in the lounge rooms are going, well, look at this. I, I want to yeah. do that. Yeah. So it became the hardest one-day sporting event in the world and yeah. still to this day is. It's is. considered the okay. hardest one day. So a 3.8 swim in this really rancid, salty water with volcanic ash all in it. It's pretty oh, uh, wow. sul- yeah. sulfur smell everywhere. So even in the swim, no wetsuits allowed because of the temperature of the water is 28 degrees. Okay. But it's rough, it's choppy. People get seasick in it because of the swells wow. swimming the, over oh, that I length. I definitely would then. Yeah. definitely would. <laughs> you, know, you don't realise, do you? You're swimming, but you're no, going no, up and down. I can't even go in the boat. <laughs> I took Bam Bam out on the boat one time at Swansea and I was sick, I was sick right. off that. Well, you've got to keep moving. That's yeah, the trick, yeah. Rich. If you so, stop, it kills wow. you. Wow. So 3.8 kilometres into swim. Yep. Then yep. we what do we we swim? Then we bike ride yeah. and then run. Yeah, so three point eight k. It would be like swimming um, across the heads of Mel- Melbourne Bay, uh, you know, from Geelong across to yeah, Mornington yeah, or something yeah. like that. And then you'd probably hop on your bike and you'd ride from Mornington round to Geelong. That's a long way, as you know. Hundred oh, yeah, so, percent. Wow. Um, for us, it's like riding from um, Cronulla to Newcastle for yeah, those okay. for the Sydney listeners. And you, it's, only, um, you only walk that. 
Yeah, yeah. We well, you you did too, mate. Yeah, oh yeah, man, hey, well, with your knees. That's, I don't that's, know. How you that's did three that. days. That's three days of it's memories. Cruel. Brutal. We'll get back. We'll get yeah, on to that later. But uh, just back on the the bike. So yeah. they in Hawaii to make it harder. They used to ride at this place called Harvey, and uh, in the year I did it with the the uh, visually impaired athlete um, going up there you have a headwind up there and you yeah. have a headwind when you turn around and come back oh, they wow. time it like there's no tomorrow that you cannot get a tailwind the uh-huh. el- the elite pros sometimes now jag it and that's when you know the times are really quick they'll get a tailwind to get them home okay, yeah. um, and then when you do get a tailwind to get your, yourself home you're also fresher to get off the bike because you've had a bit of a break in the intensity and then you run better and that's when those low 740 and the through to the 820 yeah. times come and anyway they it's it's windy it's also you're on the volcano yeah so the ground's hot you can fry an egg on the rocks wow so it's pretty cool and uh <laughs> yeah so you're riding in it you know for four to four fifteen i think they ride now to probably for the punters um and the and the you know a lot of the challenged athletes they're out there for seven eight hours on the bike and then they have to run it's changed the course changed a little bit it yeah. is not as tough as it was really okay but um it's still it's still tough. Yeah. It's just that they've changed. It used to run when when I did it in 1990. It used to run right out into the lava fields, a long way out in the lava fields. Turn around at a big bud light, um, turn blow up corner, thing. blow up thing. Yeah, you're yeah. thinking, oh, what I wouldn't do for one of those at, <laughs> at the moment. And then you go down into the energy lab and a couple of other spots. And they used to run you. Uh, the first thing that you encountered in the start of the run was they'd run you down to the old Hilton, and it would be running down a hill for at least half a kilometre downhill then turn around and come back up it oh, and it's yeah. steep. It's almost like steps. It's yeah. you know it's a 12% incline at some point on it in the stinking heat oh, and it's, oh. it's an oven down in there. Oh. So all of this and there's blokes like Mark Allen and Dave Scott and Scott Molina and all these brilliant, Scott Tinley, brilliant athletes going in with it when it was a really hard race like that yep. and still doing 806, 807, 8006. It's just as soon as the gun goes, they're sprinting. That's, that's crazy. And the hard oh, fitness levels, but like incredible just, and mental obviously, fitness. Yeah, I was going to say incredible. when you when you think about someone's body fitness like that, doing eight hours and going through that much trauma with the body, their men- their mental state has to be something just at a different level at altogether. It's, I can't even find words to to put that in, but just to, to have that mental state to do that is crazy. And I mean, you've you've been through those those triathlons where your mental state had to do. But as you say, when you look at those guys and they're doing eight hours on, on such a treacherous Ironman circuit, mm. you're still even even yourself shaking your head and just going, I do, wow. I do shake my head. Look, the course is fast. Yep. There's, co- there's slow and fast courses in Ironman. Okay. So you, can't, you can never really compare your own time to those of other courses. So some of the guys that went really fast and I come over to – Australia and do the Foster Eye Man and get smashed and go slow. Yeah, right. right. So because the road was rough and it was hilly and crosswinds and pouring rain and all sorts of different things. So you go to New Zealand and you're swimming in, uh, you know, in the ocean and you're through one foot swells hitting in the head or wind chops and so on. So everything's a different course, horses for courses. You come to Melbourne. There was a fantastic Eye Man here in Melbourne that used to run out of St Kilda and and uh, take you out on a freeway. And when you come back, you ride uphill. So the yeah. first half is. You're riding uphill, but you're fresh and 
strong. Yeah, yeah. You turn around, you're coming downhill with it. When you're normally tiring, you're getting this assistance and you're looking, I've done that one, and you're looking at your speed and you're doing 50K an hour and I'm in downhill and you think, wow. And then all of a sudden, these guys are all doing sub nine hour times on that course. Yeah. And we're like, something's wrong here. And it's just the way the course is. It's just fast. It's not short or anything like that, but the demographics of it, right? Yeah, if you get a tailwind in in a... Australian Ironman, like yep. um, we used to at um, Foster, the, if you get the tailwind there, yep. you're taking 20 minutes, 30 minutes off your time. Really? That's the difference. Yeah, okay, so you could I be a nine-hour Ironman and do an 8.30 or you could be a nine-and-a-half and do just under nine yeah. You know, if you got that tailwind on that day. So that, but it was jagging it's that. It's like the, the luck, just, the factors, yeah, every, yeah. everything sort of. Uh, yeah. It's like people say, uh, if I, um, this is something that's really interesting, oh, you hear them say, I'll never win anything, I'll never win a lottery, All right, but they never buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. Right? That- so you you go in these races, yeah. you're buying a lottery ticket, you're just having a crack and you yeah. and you and at the elite level with the, you talk about the mental side of the mental resilience to yeah. keep going forward and not letting your body let you down yeah. because your mind's saying stop or you you know something's wrong. Yeah. There's always a hole, but on the other side of it, there's always a good a better side. Yeah. So you hit this hole and you hang in there as long as you can. You might have been at it for uh, seven hours at this point and the, towards the end of the run you're really starting to hurt and everything's falling to bits yeah. you've got to hang in there because you know you can get through this and then on the other side a different food a sugar a coke or whatever you have picks you up yeah. and away you go wow. again you know and and uh, those are you know at the elite level when when um when I, I did my, I did an eight-hour Ironman in '94 uh, up at at uh, Foster, mm, yeah. and it was the gun went, was it, uh, and it was full tilt. That was full that tilt. I think that was your fastest one, wasn't fastest, it? Fastest eight fifty, fastest time, and uh, I tried to go faster. Yeah, but it was just like the next year I came back with um, the year before in '93. Yeah. I did nine oh two, and yeah. it killed me because the benchmark for all of us in those days was yeah. break nine hours. We didn't have the bike technology. Yeah. We didn't have all the aid stations. We didn't have the knowledge. To, the things like golf, you know, golf. You're a, yeah. you're a lover of golf. I've no, watched. I it. played it all my life. I <laughs> played it all my life. You, I know. If you're playing it, you're good. Yeah, right? yeah that's all yeah, you want. That's true, that's true. It just spoils a good walk sometimes. Yeah. Um, but golf technology yep. has revolutionized golf to the point now I see people who couldn't play golf yep. well are playing golf well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, players now are getting really low handicaps. So there's no way they would have done it with the old technology. Technology yeah. Club. Yeah. Well, triathlon's no different. Yeah. Uh, my current bike is uh, what's known as the Cervelo P5. Yeah. And what, what's the cost of those? Because I know that's a twenty thousand dollar twenty thousand dollar bike. Yeah, it's fully yeah. electronic. There's no cables on it. Um, the brakes are hydraulic. It's yeah, it's a completely oh, yeah. different concept. And I can I get on that with my young guys in my training group in the morning, and they hate me bringing it out because you, you <laughs> they get no wind assistance sitting on me on it, <laughs> and it it's so much lighter and and cuts through the air. I can comfortably at my age at sixty on that bike. Still push forty five k an hour wow. on it for an hour. I've I've I'm, definitely I'm still heard, doing that. heard so. and seen some bikes, and when they, you know, some of the bikes I've seen, they're sort of like, oh mate, this is a eight thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar bike. But when you say twenty thousand for a yeah. pushy, yeah, twenty thousand. Oh. oh, there's more. There's worse. There's more. Really? Mate. Some of the tour, the tour guys, um, I you know, like in the Tour de France, those bikes, they're first class bikes. Yeah. They weigh probably four kilo. I, I guess <laughs> there's nothing in them, and they're what, all disc brakes. They're all price. Electronic is oh yeah well they would all those bikes would be the twenty k bikes yeah. for sure they'd have the in the tour you you have to have reliability and yeah, strength yeah, and, and technology brings that yeah technology you know the days of flat tires I haven't had a rich I haven't had a flat tire now I'd say ten or fifteen years really? have not I'll wear the tire out. 
I'll wear yeah. through it and then it'll go flat. Yeah. But I'll never, you know, my mates get a well, cut glass. We're, we're, we're that far. They're that far advanced. Well. Carbon fibre in the tubes. The, the Continental GP, there's a plug. Anyway, the Continental GP uh, that I, I've always raced on the 4000 tubular, which is on the time trial bike. I've never had a flat with a brand new one that I've been used in a race. Yep. And on the um, road, I use the, the what they call it, the um, inflatable one with the tube inside it yeah. and uh, the clincher. That was the word yeah. I was trying to get, the clincher. And I, I say, I, I can't think 10 years now since I've had a flat tyre. Oh, as long as you yeah. keep them at 110 pound, that's the secret. Well, there you go, kids. Uh, keep them hard. Kids, go listen buy up. a $20,000 bike, you'll never, <laughs> you'll never get a puncher. But the tyres are only uh, $100, so, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah the tyres are the cheapest part of the it's whole thing. It's just all frame. It's frame. Carbon fibre. Like, carbon, yeah, carbon wow. Fiber, mate. You should see the technology. They put the put it in a wind tunnel, <sighs> Yeah. and they they are looking and searching for one kilowatt improvement on these elite bikes, right? <laughs> one kilowatt. So just a little cover over the front brake um, shoes and, and brake. Uh, caliper so difference, yeah. can make a ma- one kilowatt difference. Oh, but you add that up over 180k in an Ironman, you're talking well, um, three or four kilometres ahead of the guy yeah, that yeah. doesn't have it. Understandable. Because when I had um, Dave Reynolds on and he was talking okay. about the flaps on the back of the car, the wind flap or whatever, he yep. said even a couple of millimetres makes an, a, a massive difference. So I can, I fully understand that. But it's it's still that it that's mind-boggling, isn't it, just it by is. those little covers or just a wind flap for, you know, three or five mil can just, boom, make such a difference. And when you're doing the, the Bathurst or when you're doing triathlon, you're over a lot of – meterage and kilometres too. So oh, it's- yeah. You think uh, 180K and I average it at 40K an hour, right, which is the, the elite yep. um, time for most of the guys. They're right yep. about 45, average about 40 or so. If I average 39 over yeah. that, over the four hours – yeah, it's four kilometres gone. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. One yeah, kilometre difference. Because so, we're so focused on just the oh, the three mil won't make a difference. We're not trying. I never myself. I never just go okay, three mil over that. I was never best at maths either. But yeah, it's such a big difference it's in such, that scenario. It's such a you know, it's like driving a car. If you can drive a car from point A to B with no single stop on it, yeah. and you drive it at one kilometre an hour less than you would. Well, look, look at the swimmers. You know, swimmers swimmers got all these outfits yep. now that have got like ripples in them. Yep. Man, you are, we haven't even touched on the triathlon no. wetsuit. Oh the triathlon God. wetsuit, the 3.8 wetsuit, the three, <sighs> Orca 3.8 wetsuit, greatest wetsuit they've ever designed. comes with uh, ribbing in the arms. It has a scaling effect on it. I put that on and I, I'm swimming well in that, a lot better than I will swim in a standard wetsuit or a, an Orca winter suit. So when you think back of the, the- – you know, snakes or alligators, and they've got those type of skin. Yep. It's taken us this many years to work <laughs> out, hang on, if we have outfits that pretty much take over a crocodile who's been around for millions of years, we may be able to swim just as fast as what they can. Oh, mate, it's, uh, it's, the, it's, that's where the technology comes from. It's funny you've raised that. The technology well, that's in swimsuits it, yeah. all comes with um, scaling and um, – the thin effect, like that, they do have on that skin. It's one directional, and it yeah, works. Yeah. You know, they, that's why they banned them in the in swimming. They they banned them in swimming. They, they, the suits were just making such an advantage that they had to go. It was too much. And the wetsuit in triathlon, it's yep. it's not allowed in in Olympics or elite levels unless the water is really really down there in that twenty degrees. But it, it, it gets just, cold. It fascinates yeah. me how lo- like it's they've come back to really the ancient animal in regards to scaling wise that. Enhances everything, mm. yet it's taken it t- took technology this long, or someone to actually have a light bulb moment. And go, hang on a second. Well, if this is going that fast in water, 
Now, a crocodile, a crocodile or a fish is millions of years old to get it right. That's what I mean. So, yeah, I'll well, true I that, guess true we're that. taking our time to, you know. We're, I, I'm but, a bit but, impatient there, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've embraced it, mate. And uh, yeah, it, look, it's yeah, swimming records still falling. Yeah. Um, now they've had to go come back to basics, whether you know they're, they're raw power again. But in triathlon, the swimming wetsuit, um, if it can lift my back up, my lower back and and my quads up one inch in the water, mm. I'm going to swim over say a kilometer, probably another thirty seconds quicker. Just that one adjustment. So what they do is they make the around your hips and around yeah. the top of your bum, they pad it up to five mil and it lifts you up. So even yeah. when you get tired, and that's what happens in endurance races, you sink right. Yeah. You start to yeah, yeah, your, your pelvis drops down about half a foot when you get tired, yeah. and and that's like a boat with a big motor on the back, but not using it, and it's yeah. pushing through the water. Yeah. You know, in the nose you see in boats when the nose points to the sky. That's how you swim. Yeah. So the wetsuit puts your, your bum up and, of course, then your head's down yeah. and you swim fast. And yeah. even when you're fatigued, you're still swimming fast. Wow. So it's all technology, you know. Wow. It's just it's mind-boggling just in a different sport that I've never never competed in, but I obviously I've well, paid have. attention. Well, yeah, have you done I've, a team? Yeah, I've done it, actually. Yeah. I have done a team, yeah. You, take that one to the bank, I'll mate. take that one to the bank for <laughs> sure, for sure. So you, you've done your triathlon you're a big, you're a big uh, help or guide uh, in a. There's a blind athlete, Nathan Johnson, uh, Johnston. Yeah, Nathan Johnston. Um, and he's obviously. How, how did that friendship sort of form? Because you do a lot of guiding for him um, or piloting for him when he's doing triathlons. Always, always. Uh, Seen your ugly mutt right right next to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sort of works like that. Um, you become his eyes. Yeah. So, but how how did it start? And look, it's it's on face value, it just looks like you turn up and you hop on a bike and you oh, go yeah. you go do the race with him. But um, I, I'm down actually being interviewed by uh, the compere of the Sutherland Surf Fun Run in Cronulla, a fellow named Dean Toll, and he he was just asking me about the fun run and how I'd been and what I'd been doing the last five or ten years because that was a fun run that we were all at the pointy end in, yeah. in as young blokes, but yeah. later in life, you know, it's more of a exercising. Anyway, Nathan was there. He heard me and he spoke to his friend, Melinda Whiteside, who'd guided him that day and came over. He wanted to meet me. He wanted to get into triathlon yeah. and he knew a little bit about me. Anyway, um, that was it. That day, I, I, when I was standing there and Tolly's talking to me and, uh, and I'm like, why is he talking to me? He should be talking to Nathan. So I said, talk to this bloke. Yeah. This bloke can't see and he's just running 11K, <laughs> right? So that's how it started. So Nathan got on the mic, first time he'd ever been interviewed about yeah. something like that at a major sporting event. And uh, after that was done, he did his interview. I said, well, what do you want to do? He says, I want to do triathlons. Can you help me? I said, sure, can. We'll get you into the tri club. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it'll have to be a big commitment by you and me. And, uh, you know, I was married with two children then as well. And, you know, you have to um, – it, it becomes a bit of a, a balance that's, because that's you've got family and commitment. But yep. also um, it's not only going and doing a race with Nathan. It's um, you're training with him. You're basically, um, you basically know. living with him. Yeah, you? sort of. His parents are wonderful and his sister yeah. and brother, they help him out and he's got a good training group. Um, my role was to be the pilot and get him through these things, but to try and get it at his level at an, being a, an, at an elite level where I can keep up with him because if you fail, then the That's athlete right. fails, right? right? So you have to be on your game. You can't, it's not just a matter of turning up. You need to be fit. You can't let them down. There's no advantage. I could put the world champion with him. It won't make any difference to his, his okay. ability okay. because they set the rules to stop you doing that. 
and uh, and they made that very strict. So you can't get in front of them on the bike. It's actually slower on a tandem bike, even though the outputs are higher. Yeah. Once you hit the slightest incline, you wash all the speed out of it. Downhill gets a bit quicker, yep. but generally they ride slower than than uh, you would if you're on your own. Yep. Um, but then there's nutrition, right? So mm. the guy can't see what he's eating. He can't pick it up yeah. at an aid station. You yeah. have to do that. The guide's got to learn to do all that. The guide's got to practice yeah, picking the food up and knowing you get all the right food into him. So in a short race, we just have a drink bottle and we go nuts, right? Um, something like a Paralympic Games, he, he did about two or three of those. Went really well at him. He, he ran five minutes for 20K you know, in a triathlon. Yeah, pretty good yeah, for you. You can't yeah. see. That's four minutes a K. Yeah, and it's amazing. It was amazing. But he can't see what he eats. No. So he has to trust you to get the right food. You have to practice it handing it over um, you know you have to split the power bar in two and give him half and then half for yourself because you've got to maintain your own nutrition uh, in the yeah, longer stuff say, you got to, you got to yeah. do instead of oh yeah you forget about well. yourself in yeah, the eye yeah. man you failed you're yeah. out he's out he can't go and get another guide and look it, it being a guide in a short race is great because you just go and do it and That's it's right. a hit up but in an eye man there's a real change um, several years ago. I actually wrote to Ricky, Jimmy Riccatello in America and we tried to get the rule changed because they they brought in this thing with para-athletes that they have to have the same guide the whole way. And I okay. understand that. Yeah. But in an Ironman, you're putting you're depleting the pool of available guides That's because right. they've got to train for a whole Ironman yeah, definitely. and they're doing it to help the other guy. You're not doing it for any recognition yeah, because you don't get recognition no, anyway, no, but you don't do it for that. Yeah, You've got to make sure you do not want to fail for this guy. Yeah. So th- th- this athlete, so you're you're going the whole way in an Ironman. There's so many more variables in the Ironman. So the nutritional thing, the yeah. injury thing, um, fatigue thing, all these sort of changes. You need to make sure that you're physically in better condition than the athlete, the, the impaired athlete, because you're going to let them down. Yeah. And we tried to get that rule changed so they had a separate swimmer, separate rider, and separate okay. runner. Yeah, right. Because there's no advantage. No, no, no. You get no advantage. But the three. powers to be said no. Really? And they were really stringent with their – or really hard on their stance about it, you yeah. know. And we took it up to the point where nearly – we're nearly at the point where it's discriminating against a visually impaired athlete uh, where you're making you're diminishing his pool of available guides mm-hmm. because they have to maintain this ability and commitment where yeah. it doesn't make any difference how fast they go. In, yeah. in fact, a bad guide goes slower, right? Yeah. But if, yeah. You give them, if you give them an individual guide, it's a guarantee that they're going to get through the whole race and they're going to perform better because yeah. they're not going to be hindered or slowed down by a problem with the guide. Yeah. And to me, that's unfair to the yeah. impaired athlete because you're making it harder for him. And, yeah, exactly. You know, the discrimination and, and boards and all that will be having a look at that. At the end of the day, he's dragging you along. Of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he has a few times. Don't you worry <laughs> about that, Richie. Uh, and he's given me a couple of uppercuts over the years. He's, yeah. he's an incredible athlete. And yeah. look, we've been hanging out now for – 13 or 14 years yeah, yeah. and and it's been a lot of fun yeah. we went you know we've done we've it's not only triathlons and fun runs and multi-sport events we've done we've done a whole lot of other stuff yeah, yeah because we're mates so we've been away together we've gone on charity runs uh, yeah. together get him away from his home life because he's stuck there yeah he's stuck with his um his parents as carers yeah. uh to get out of that whole thing you know mum and dad hadn't had a break from him for 30 years wow. and we took him away with a bunch of mates in a winnebago oh, and went on really a charity is. run and took him to all the pubs and he had a ball yeah, and, and mum and dad finally had a break you know yeah. with it and and some quality time yeah and but yeah. you know still the mum and dad who's done that for 30 years without Incredible. a break is that's amazing work no one really sees that part of it 
Oh. Uh, in the behind scenes either, does it? So no, you're, you're, you're fully seen, responsible. Yeah. And, you know, the parents blame themselves in the circumstance, yeah, right? Let's, let's be raw. Yeah. Um, you, if you have a child that has a disability, yep. you created the child. That's your right. parents deep down do blame themselves yeah, for it. Right. And I've spoken to them yep. deeply about those things yep. and they do, do say, yeah, well, you know, it's our fault. We're, now it's our responsibility yeah. and we have a duty of care to that child yeah. for the rest of our lives because we created it. 100%. You know, you now, know. That in itself, when you get to athletes and mindsets, but when you get that circumstances with parents, with a, a child with disability, that, that's another mindset. That's that's like you just turn everything off that you had thoughts of in your life and this is your focus now for the rest of your time. Mm. That, that's a mindset in itself. Yeah. I, that probably overtakes every other mindset. It, it does, mate. Look, I'll give you an example. There's two um, boys up in Sydney called the Cardi Boys have moved up to Kingscliff now. Um, they were born with a thing called uh, Batten's disease um, and what it is, it's like MMD. Yeah. Okay. They're perfectly normal at yep. one, two, three, four. Then something starts to show. In. They lose their eyesight and a few other things. Yep. And by their 18, you know, they can be, if they're lucky to make 18, they're in a wheelchair and they're a vegetable. Yeah, and oh, yeah. um, these two boys, their parents had the first one and and, and the first one played with our children and, yep. and went everywhere, perfectly normal, and he started to go, but they'd already had the second one and their gene was making another one the same. Oh, really? And the poor parents, if they'd known that the first one had the gene, they wouldn't have had the second one, yeah. so to speak. But yeah. anyway, now they, they raise them and do the best they yeah. can with them and we've, we've had big fundraisers. All the wives got together 20 years ago and put together this massive fundraiser for them and really? we had it at Sharks. Oh, and it yeah. was great. Daniel McPherson, uh, and, and I'll t- oh, we'll touch yeah. on him. He's a great triathlete as well. Yeah, yeah I've Dan, seen him actually on, on his socials uh, doing doing triathlons and I've seen, yeah, he's with other, obviously, uh, friends of his, yeah. yeah. Well, he hosted that one for us. And, <laughs> did he? And okay, uh, we raffled Lara Bingle off. Oh, did you? And, and, and her uncle bought it to stop anyone having a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, she and she wasn't with Worthington then. She hadn't met him, but um, okay. anyway, she was only young. And yeah, it was a big night, and that yeah. was for those boys. And what it did was uh, raised about a quarter of a million dollars or so. The wow. and this is the wives did this. We were just all you know helpers, you yeah, know, the, yeah. the blokes. But the wives did. It. They amazing. set up a board and they did the whole thing. And hundred percent of the money raised went straight to those family. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everyone put every cent that went straight into it and how it should be. Yeah. And um, they built the house with uh, you know up in Kingscliff Forum with um, you know wheelchair access yeah. and all that. Yeah, stuff and got that. carers in and yeah, yeah, just yeah. their parents. Wow, that's amazing. Help, you know? Just another Especially thing. There's another community. thing you probably didn't know about. No, me, mate. No, one, the Cardi I'm, Boys has been I'm a finding very, out pro- lots of things. very interesting thing and Sharks have been fantastic with that. They they gave us an auditorium for free of charge, yeah. 400 people, all the entertainers that came, Shannon and I saying everyone was oh, there, no, right? Yeah. It was a big night. Um, it was the who's who of sport and and uh, mates. That's, and, that's and what you want in it. And they all free, free yeah. of charge. No one put their hand. That, that particular event, even crazy the old Ray Hadley yeah. said, said to me um, when I rang him to give him the update on the Monday about how much money raised. He said, yeah. "We can't do that. None of us have ever done that. That's too much, you know. Like, yeah. I can't believe it. Well done, you know. Yeah, and and we were all shocked at the amount of money that was raised in that one night, wow. a quarter million bucks, you know. So that, that's that, that was amazing. that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Anyway. But that's, that's in, in regards to charities because I know you do a lot of charities. Into the police force we go. <laughs> Into the police force, you're awarded many medals. Obviously, uh, you know your your bravery. I think you're awarded bravery. Um, it's a couple of little little incidents that uh, you got awarded and and went through. Obviously, you've done heaps of pursuits. Uh, when you saved a, it was 1993, saved a man from drowning, a criminal from drowning. Yeah. Uh, so you were chasing him, and he yep. he jumped in the lake river. Yeah. No, mate, that was a. 
Look, that's, that's something that you, you can't unsee. No. Um, he drowned, actually. So, Did so, he look, really look, in the end? Policing, is, uh, policing at my, through my life was like being a professional sportsman as well yeah, yeah. because we went to work and we loved it. Yeah, yeah. And, you, you know, you were doing it um, without a lot of the restrictions that are on you nowadays because – not because anything really has changed. Yeah. Um, you know, all the guys I had always had the best integrity and the, yeah. everything's in good faith. But sometimes the perception of something being videoed isn't telling the truth. Exactly. exactly. So everyone's say, guarded now, you know. Probably... And social media hasn't helped. It's hindered. No. And, and you, you know, the, the regulation on it. They get away with it because you need to show the whole videos, you know, not I mean, and what yeah. leads into something to that escalation That's and, right, and yeah. all that. So, but people are wise to it. Yeah, some are, but some to use it to their advantage to retaliate or get out of something, yeah. you know. And look, bottom line, my, I'm old school. If you've done the crime, do the time, you know, oh, like so yeah, yeah. And, and get away from this. I'm a victim, you know. I've done, I've committed a crime now. I'm a victim, and I'm going to play the victim all the way through court. And you know, there's some reasonable circumstances for that. Yeah. With, upbringings and so on, but yep. certainly it gets played on oh, yeah. and it, 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 it frustrates me a little bit because, you know, you, you, you have law, you know, some lawyers and I've got mates that are lawyers that are really yeah. good and there's like cops, the 99% yep. of them are really good, yep, yep, but there's yep. these, some of them just, all they're working on is getting the client off the charge, charge no matter whether they've done it or not. That's right. That's and that's right. not, and even the good lawyers will tell you that we don't operate like, you're not allowed yeah, to yeah, operate yeah, like, it's yeah, like yeah. a cop taking a quid yep. for, on a job for a search warrant or something. It's that's exactly right. the same yeah, um, yeah, well. standard. So you can't have that. And unfortunately the two clash and, yep. you know, anyway, but it's, it's all about ethics and, you know, I see the young cops nowadays have so, like triathlon, so yep. many more hurdles put in front of them, yep. so much more to, harder to train on the bike on a road. Well, police officer now, um, you know, has a lot more in front of him that he has to uh, adjust or um, adapt to, yep. you know. So I take my hat off to the young yeah, ones yeah, coming yeah. through the academies now and then out and thrown into that mess out there that you see, yeah. you know, escalation, knife violence and, and domestic yeah, well, violence yeah, and all that's, those that's sorts getting, of things. That's getting huge, isn't it? Like, it is, mate. Yeah. I don't know what's what's the go, why it's doing all that, but. Parenting. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm a, I agree with you. I, yeah. I think, you know, when people get, the kids get to the stage of whatever age, Something has to be accountable back here at, at the parents' level. Like the kids can't just be obviously born and then next minute they're into some sort of violence or something. Mm. Something else happens. And I've dealt with a lot of mentoring uh, teens through martial arts or boxing. And yep. and you're right. I, I see where it where it breaks down from the parenting side and it gets to the the male or the or the female, which is you know sad because I've got two kids and and yep. tried to do the best job I could. But yeah, you do, you see it these days, and it's yeah, it's Mate, it's a saddened a, thing. It's isn't a it? learning curve, right? And parenting, we we the same as you. We did mentoring. Kids had come out of court for a referral program from the magistrate to come to the PCYC, yeah, and they yeah. would have to undertake uh, just some programs there to save going into incarceration. Yep. And I had a role where I'd go and do a talk to them, and it was about arguing with authority. Yeah, and yeah, we'd, okay. we'd, we'd um, compartmentalise it into four categories of referees, school teachers, mum and dad, and then the cops, right? Yeah. And don't argue with them because you're going to lose, and there's forums for it and so on. And out of the six kids we used to get, four would listen and take on board what we were telling them. And, yeah. and, and a lot of them would say the same thing. We've never heard this before. Yeah. 
So they've never been shown um, how, how to use a bit of common sense. You know, like uh, if the referee penalises you and you know he's wrong, there's no point in arguing. He's not changing That's his right, mind, right? Yeah, 100%. And he'll give it back later. Yeah. But don't mess it up for the team because if you argue with the referee then, what happens? He then talks to his referee mates. That's right. And then the next time you play, a week later, that referee's on your case, That's right? right? That's how the world works. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and this definitely. is this talk we used to do with the young kids and they go, we never heard this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's where that I come back to where I'm being brutal and say parenting. Yeah. Parents need to train their kids about the dangers of putting themselves in harm's way when they argue with authority. 100%. Because you put yourself in harm's way. Yeah. You know, and it's usually a no-win situation. Yep. Save it for another forum like court or go at the police station and argue there or go to the referees, judiciary, yeah, yeah. whatever. Do yep. it later yeah. and let just get on with it. Move on from it. It's yep. a mistake and wear it. But you see it now on TV. Every decision on a sporting referee is challenged and questioned. Oh, and, it is. It's, it, it's crazy it, sometimes. It's impossible. Yeah. You know, it just slows everything yeah. down. And, and that's that's they're trying to make the games faster, but then they're slowing it down with all these yeah. other, you know, the bunkers. Let's let's preview that for five minutes and. Like, yeah, mate, everyone's got their breath back. Everyone's, yep. re- you know, they're rested. So it's, it is, it's a bit of a, bit you of a strange one. Look, you see it, Rich, you see it in life, right? You see, you go into the crowds and you see it at sporting events. Yep. You see the parents yelling it. Oh, and yeah. Screaming, hey, right? no, nothing like Melbourne you know, here, brother. I've, no. been, I've been around a lot of sporting <laughs> stadiums in my life and Melbourne, the AFL fanatics, the fans, they are fanatical. Oh. Not only that, it goes, I see grandmother. Mother, daughter, father. It's called passion, mate. Oh, 100%. And, I, and, and to be honest, I've got nothing against it, but my brother and I, we go along to these games. We just, you know, buy the, the cheap tickets and we just watch the crowds and, oh, man, just the atmosphere, especially at the AFL games, is is something second to none that I've I've seen in my life at a sporting Sporting, yeah, sort of no, I've stadium. been to a few of them down here, mate. And they're and, passionate. Uh, don't, I do not wear a Swans uh, outfit when I go down <laughs> into a, the MCG, I just wear neutral clothes mate. on. I'm, I'm AFL neutral when yeah, I now, arrive now here. Yeah, well, it's, doggies, mate, you got to have a doggy. I've got a doggy right, scarf dogs, for you, mate. yeah, right. I'll put it on. I might wear Western Bulldogs, mate. Uh, they make no, the no, I think that's, I think it's uh, Saturday or Sunday. I'm not quite sure, right? We're digressing now, but we'll anyway, we'll have to have a look. So, going on again, so. You captured what were they class the the red cap bandit oh, back in the day. This one's going to get me in trouble. Oh mate, you know, oh, there's, you, a, there's a whole book on that one. Is uh, there? Okay, there's a whole well. book, and look, it's he's it, little known about him. Yeah, but this guy committed the most armed robberies, what we believe to be the most armed robberies ever by an individual in the world. Yeah, and right. he's in uh, he's in Sydney, right? in Australia, right, of all places. <sighs> he does 57 armed robberies in a matter of six months, and eludes wow. police. And while we were in the, in charge, or not so much in charge, but our unit, it was called Special Operations Group back then in the ni- yeah. early 90s, and it wasn't long before I actually left the cops to go and chase my dream of triathlon and yeah. whatever, and um, this bloke was terrorising Sydney at night, you know, and yeah. the thing is, there's victims in all of this. These yeah, people oh. are standing there with a gun pointed at them, doing their, their job yep. at a service station, yep. and they're shattered, and they're damaged for life, and yeah, I still definitely. talk to one of the victims in particular, and she's still damaged from that incident that he, she had with the Red Cat Bandit, right. um, you know, and, and has had a whole lot of problems in her life with, you know, marriage and other things after it. Yep. You know, you, see, you can yeah, see yeah. the effects yeah. of that. But this bloke, he total clean skin, never been in trouble in his life at all. And uh, as it turned out, was a police radio operator, so he knew the methodologies. And he um, lost his job at 
there's a, uh, I think if I remember, Bendix brake rep yep. and had to return the car. And uh, on that Friday was the day he decided that he was going to do armed robbery. So he returns the car and he walks around the corner. Here's another car with keys in it. So he steals a car and uh, has that for six months, drives his kids to school and it gives it to his wife to drive and do shopping. It didn't get reported for some weeks because it was in a, a, yeah. a um, stock of a car dealership. Okay. So they hadn't noticed it missing. Wow. And then um, six months into it, he gets a... He does all these armed robberies all over the place with the red cap on. And, uh, you know, he's just, like I said, 57 of them. And then one day he gets the better of himself and uh, decides to return the car. We'd been working on it. We'd missed him by seconds sometimes. Really? He'd seen us in a stakeout. We, we were under instructions in those days. If he came into the, the garage with the gun, you shoot him. There's no mucking around because this guy's pointing the gun when he walks in at the attendant. Yeah, true. Comes in with it pointed straight at him. Wow. And all the, you can, show, I could show you photos and yeah, footage yeah. of all that. So um, there was no time to even warn him because he's just going to shoot you. And yeah. uh, he was very lucky that that didn't happen. Yeah. That he, lucky that he missed all the confrontation because of that's how we used to deal with things back then. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he, he got really, really cold feet on, on uh, robbery number 57. Yeah. And uh, he pulled out of it. He saw a police car come into where we were actually staked out. And um, the police car came in and grabbed some food and whatever at 1am and he was sitting off the opposite side of the road and we came around from behind the counters. You've seen us, obviously, yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah. And he decides, so he goes over to uh, another area in Sydney and does one there yep. and then decides, that's it, I'm done. And the next day returns the car and uh, when he returned the stolen car, they mm. saw it. That's a car that got ripped off. So next thing, this um, MMA fighter. Uh, really? Yeah, guy from guy from uh, up in sort of pre-MMA, but he was a kickboxer yeah. and, and a really good one. He was the head mechanic at the Ford dealership, and he saw him come in in it and then fronted him, and he drove off. But he comes back again, so they get him and drag him out of the car, and he pulls a gun on him, and they kick the shit out of him and disarm him. Yeah. And we're sitting, believe it or not, after six months of trying to catch this guy, we're sitting at the intersection opposite this watching it all wow. go on. What the hell? So then the job come over, we went in there, and yeah. I, straight away, he's the bloke we're looking for. He's the guy in all the pictures wow. he's there's the guy in the hat so I grabbed him and threw him in the truck and I said to him you're the red cat Ben he said yep I am and that was it that was so it that was since the next three days of interviews of 57 armed robberies he pleaded guilty to a lot of it and did 10 years in jail and got deported for it where did work? New Zealand. Oh, I was in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. We've, got, we've got a book together on that one about the whole project and yeah. how we, you know, the, it was in, you know, trying to hunt him down and trying to find out who this guy was and all the near misses. You know, we put it all together and I still have all the documents. The book's nearly finished, yeah, so right. it'll be an interesting read wow, when it's done. Wow, that was, that's, yeah, I was one thing that popped up when I was, when I was having a read and that I was, was like, a good wow, job, that- mate. It was a good job and, yeah. uh, you know, just to pulp fiction in it, to be in the right place, the right That's time I mean. and the wrong place and all these things going on with yeah. it, you know. And then t- to hear his story where he loses his job, he's married with kids, yeah. and he lives a perfectly normal double life by day. And there was this period where uh, like one week would go by or two weeks. He was doing yeah. them every night and then all of a sudden there's none. Oh, that right. was school holidays. Oh, and yeah, he, right. And he, got, he gets fronted outside of the Appen school by one of the mums. You look like that bloke that's all on the TV, Michael, you know, I won't say his last name. And he said, no, us, don't worry about that, cuz us New Zealanders all look like they look the same. <laughs> huh? And he got away with it. He, he used that yeah, card yeah. every time. And he got fronted a couple of times. And no one rang, no one reported at a Crime Stoppers. So he, he just eluded everyone. Wow. Yep. And he see RBT. This is look. This is a good one for the listeners. He in his emissions, he saw used to see the RBT. He got pulled into a couple of them, yeah. and he just played dumb. Yeah, and he got away with it, and they didn't 
in those days didn't have the AMPR checking the number plates. Okay. But then he got flashed out a lot. He said he used to drive around, he'd get flashed out by people flashing headlights. Yeah. You know, and that's to slow people down or whatever for getting a speeding ticket. Yeah. And, you know, so be it. People want to do that. But you're also telling people it's just doing armed robberies. The cops are up the road. Yeah. You've right. got to think about that, you yeah, know. you got to yeah. think about that. you got to, you can't be um, narrow-minded on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't flash your lights because you're going to save someone you don't know from killing themselves in the car anyway. But you're also telling people that are wanted, yeah. people in a stolen car, pedophiles, all these bad peoples, you know, people people that have taken, abducted people, um, Middle Eastern crime, you're telling them the police are up the road. Yeah. By flashing well, for a speeding ticket. Well, right? you, know, you, you got to think, think of that it. stuff. No, but you've got to. Yeah. And, and that's, we, we did a bit of an education program with that when I was in the Cox. And, you don't realise that. No. You just think you're helping another citizen from a speeding ticket, don't Mate, you? Oh, look, you know, Janine Balding, she was taken from right. Sutherland Railway Station on Tuesday night and driven to Blacktown where she was murdered. And um, they were asked, my understanding, they were asked how they were able to drive in 1987 or 88 yeah. when RBT was huge with the buses. Yeah, yeah. How'd you get all the way to Blacktown without seeing the cops. Oh, no, people flash headlights. We just go around the back streets whilst they're sitting on her in the back of the car. So Janine lost her life because someone maybe, maybe someone flashed their headlights. Wow. That that takes a whole new... Whole new perspective of flashing life. Yeah. yeah, it does. I'm, I'm not flashing my lights at nobody anymore. No, well, they can get it, picked no. up. They no. can get picked up. It does change people's perspective about it when we talk about it like that, you know. Yeah, and, 100%. and again, it's, you know, road toll anyway. You've got 1,400 people nationally killing themselves every year. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole football field of people this year that yeah. won't be there next year, right? Wow. And so, you know, we've all got to sort of just sort of have a bit of a think about how we behave, yeah, Yeah. and and on the road especially because we're very desensitised to road trauma. Yeah. You know, that's not – That's right. Only 1,400, I say, 1,400 with all respect, but there's 20,000 that end up in hospital that are either in a wheelchair or uh, seriously injured in in rehab for the next five years of their life. 20,000 nationally. You don't hear about those no, ones. No, you no. don't. No. <laughs> anyway, we've digressed again, mate. Big, Sorry. Big, no, big but, numbers then. So the one one little subject with the Cronulla riots, were you uh, – oh, what, yeah. what was your role in, in <laughs> the Cronulla – because that was obviously yeah. – I think that's gone back 15 years ago now or a right. little bit longer than that. Mate, it's um, one of my best friends, uh, retired Assistant Commissioner Mark Goodman. Yep. He was the commander of all of that and um, he's uh, – you know, he is – one of the best blokes you'd ever meet, and uh, we were all rostered on for it. I yeah. I missed the Saturday. I was lucky, yeah. just I guess you'd call it lucky. But I worked the Wednesday when it all escalated, okay. and it was our night of our Christmas party at Cronulla oh, really? Cronulla Surf Life Saving Club. Yeah, so we it all escalated through the day. They were trying to find this one person who'd uh, attacked one of the lifeguards and it went on and on and we're getting pelted at that stage by locals with beer cans and everything right back on that Wednesday and um, the I remember Mark Goodwin coming down with the commander and they were copying abuse from the surfers and, and whatever but the whole thing has had a misconception applied to it yep. that the Shire is racist right? yeah okay and unfairly tainted by a, um, a government agency uh, newspaper that said that the Southern Shire, the words to quote, is full of 90% Anglo-Italian, uh, Anglo-Irish people who have no idea about assimilation. That was the similar words to quote in this newspaper yeah. article they did on it. Let me tell you, in the 60s, I grew up at school. My best friend was Italian. Mm. One of my other mates was Chinese. 
two of the others were Lebanese. We have one of the biggest Lebanese communities outside of the Lakemba and Belmore area. Yep. It's over in the Shire and Kirawi where all the war refugees were relocated in, after the Tripoli War and went and worked in all the factories there. Massive. So our schools, we're all, we're a big melting pot. There wasn't Anglos worrying around everywhere. Yeah, Gorig yeah. isn't Smith, Jones and Williams, mate. It's Belgium, French. It's a bit so from all over the joint, yeah. right? So, you know, and but we got tainted with this, that the Shire, the Shire is so divided, it's so Anglo. And it's not. It's completely the opposite. It's one of the best examples of multiculturalism well, in the country. Yeah. You know, we have Greeks and Italians that owned all the shops there. Yeah. Greeks and Italians. They, you know, you go into the fruitier, he was Greek, and he's yours, his son is your best mate at school. Yeah. So, but, but we all just got on and laughed and had fun. And schooling for me was very, a very valuable time um, growing up in an area where we had children coming from various suburbs all around us and all walks of life and all races and religions yeah. in our school. So we learned to accept it. But then to see that we were branded with that incident down there as racist, was, it was very hurtful. Yeah. You only have to walk at that time, walk down the main street and look at all the diversity in the restaurants yeah. and the food outlets in the main mall street there. You know, we've got Thai, we've got Chinese, yeah. we've got Lebanese, crazy, all that. But no, that, that never played part of it. What it was, was nothing to do with race. Yeah. It was nothing to do with anything from a policing perspective. It was to do with behaviour. Yeah. And we were having people come down on large numbers on weekends where the younger um family members and siblings would get together not see each other normally and they mm. come to the parks from anywhere from across, right across Sydney and they get together and then they go up to the beach say mm. mum and dad see you we're going for a walk yeah. trying to go and play ball and they go up the beach and cause havoc and deliberately kick the soccer ball into the crowd and walk five abreast down the mall and push people out of the way you know and I, I live there so I experienced it I'm yeah. walking down the mall one day and five young men walking straight towards me just pushing everyone out of the way and spitting and doing all the shit that they do. And we're seeing all this all the time. And then obviously it was going in other parts of Sydney as well. It was behaviour. Yeah. And then what was worse, they tried to fix it with bad behaviour. Yeah. Done, done work. Yeah, right. Done work. Right? So, that, so the sole incident with that, how it all started with the lifeguard, was that like a, like a Lebanese person attacking or was it a – is that how it- No, it was an Australian person of a Lebanese background. Really? So we're all Australians, right, Rich? Yeah, true, and, true. I, and I like to always describe that. Well, you know, when yeah. you hear people, I'm a proud Lebanese Australian. No, you're not. You're a proud Australian with Lebanese background, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm true. a I'm a proud Australian with a French and Belgian background, right? Yeah. We're all we're yeah. all the same like oh, that. Gosh, and we have so. to play. It's a play on words, but we have to be careful how we approach that. Hundred percent. And it, it was an, a young Australian male who got in an altercation. With the lifeguard, it, it wasn't a full-time lifeguard. It was a part-time life, life saver. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, but it becomes a lifeguard from a media yeah. perspective because that's, that's right. the value of Australia, the big bronzed Aussie lifeguard, right? 100%. But it wasn't. It was a young, young, probably just two young blokes had a conflict with each other and it started and it got worse. And look, you know, it's a long time ago, so my memories are a bit yeah, clouded yeah, on right. it now, I, on the I exact understand. incident that led to it. But he assaulted the, the lifesaver yep. and then that one led to another getting police down and then police trying to find him and chasing him all day. He, yeah. On the run, running around the black sea units and I remember it went on for hours trying to find this bloke. Yeah. And then, of course, it triggered the first time modern technology comes into play, right? Yeah. You, you, let's go, let's just digress for a second. Let's go to extreme weather events. Yeah. Right. 
The only difference in the extreme weather events in the world at the moment is someone's filming it and putting it on six o'clock news, midnight news. That's right. And that's we're right. seeing it all the yeah, time, right? Yeah, yeah. Where I wouldn't know it's hailing at Menai no. 20 years ago, but no. it's hailing up there. Yeah. But, but now I get to see it, right? right. Well, this is the same. This, um, these altercations have been going on, yep. but all of a sudden someone texts a message out yep. and triggered it. You know, uh, um, this the lebs are attacking the lifeguards, right? And okay. that triggered it. Yep. And that went out everywhere through social media rapidly yeah. to the point that it was Chinese whispers, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, Rich, yeah. Rich, story changes. You know, Rich, Rich Fogarty's wearing a black shirt with um, RV, RVCA yeah. sponsors on it and a few yeah. other things, yeah. right, as we talk here. Chinese whisper, that'll be come back to us in a month's time and it'll be a purple suit with polka dots on it yeah. and, you know, unicorns drawn on it, right? 100%, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, 100%, that's what happened yeah. with the riots. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'm trying to put it in a perspective yeah, no, no, we all no, understand, I do, you know? I do remember it, even though, as I say, it's 15 years ago, but I do remember it because uh, obviously I had – I got some friends who were in, living in that area, and they they were all into it as well. And it was just yeah, yeah it was. I had, look, I had friends that Lebanese mates from school. Um, you know, they wouldn't come down to Cronulla; they were frightened yeah. after it. Um, we we had also have a business. Um, we were doing commercial signage, and we were in the night of the retaliations. I was in at um, Edgecliff putting up a big sign on the Edgecliff Centre overnight and uh, I drove back in a ute, a Holden ute, yeah. and I drove back through Brighton. They were all going past me, going over to Coogee to smash all the cars. Yeah. I didn't know. I just thought, what's all this about? Because it was, you could swing a cat anywhere, yeah. deadly quiet Monday night and then I get down, there's cop cars going everywhere, get down to Cronulla, cop cars going everywhere and what it was, they'd, um, they'd driven around, they'd come out from the western suburbs, um, a large contingency of Australian Lebanese Males, uh, I mean that um, twenty to thirty year old demographic, baseball bats and they and knives and they and in that one night um, smashed cars from basically Cronulla through to Coogee over yeah, in the northern wow. beaches, stabbed half a dozen people. So it, was, it just retaliated more bad behaviour. Uh, yeah, retaliating yeah. against the bad behaviour, which That's was retaliating sure. against the bad behaviour three days before, right? Wow. So this went on and um, it just. No, it did no one any favours. Right. All the behaviour, those bad behaviours, all it did was the majority of good people stood back and went, wow, look how bad these people are behaving yeah. and look at the damage it's doing to yeah. all the good work everyone's Community, been yeah. doing for years. Wow. You know? The two kids on the train, you probably remember on the train where the, the sergeant gets the baton and swings it through the crowd and went around the world. There was oh, this incident that. at the railway station on yeah. the right day yeah. where two – one, one, I believe, lived in Kirui in the yeah. Shire. He was – a um, Ali Khaled, I think his name was, he got on the train with his mate and every Sunday morning they go down the beach yeah. and just hang around Cronulla and come back. Uh, they got down there and went, wow. So they got put back on the train and then the mob, the mob of crazy people from all over yeah. Sydney went through the train and, and anyway, there was a sergeant, um, Craig Campbell, who um, was standing back and he couldn't get to them and they were getting absolutely beaten to death yeah. and it was brutal. And these two young kids, again, just two young Australian kids, uh, sitting on the seat in the train and getting towelled up, shockingly towelled up by uh, some some local blokes yeah. as well as a mix. And Craig Campbell, the sergeant, gets a bat and he sees him. He can't get through to them. There's no OC sprayed left. This has been going on all day. So he battens his way through the crowd and clears them. And that made news around the world. And he put himself at a huge risk to go onto the train. And then he, you see it on the footage. He goes through the vestibules all the way through the seats, gets to the end, and then battens these people beating these two guys away 
all on his own yeah. and gets them and retreats with them out of the train and saves their life. One had a fractured skull and teeth broken and they blood was sprayed all over the train vestibule and he saved them that day, right, That's that guy. And incredible. Probably one of the bravest policing acts um, under those circumstances of a right situation that I've ever seen in all oh, yeah. my years and uh, in the history of Australian policing. It's yeah, probably yeah. one of the brave, most bravest acts to save the lives of two people he didn't know yeah. that – um, goes against everything that that was standing for on that day, according to the mob. Yeah. So he's helping the people he shouldn't be helping, and then the mob could have turned on him. But yeah. he he did what he had to, and he got yeah. them out of there. And that's fantastic footage. Yeah. And, you know, a few people got a. You could hear the uh, aluminium bat and hitting the hardened parts of people's oh, bodies, I wow. suppose. And it was huge footage. It went around the world. Actually, your famous Victorian Rex Hunt yeah, wrote yeah. this beautiful letter to the police commissioner and to the commander of Cronulla Police about Craig Campbell yeah. and actually had rung, I think, Ken Maroney and said, that bloke should be given a bravery medal, you know, yeah. because um, I can say this because I'm out now, but yeah. management were very um, – some people in some of the New South Wales Police Force management had a very dim view of his actions that day, really? and uh, which led to him having a nervous breakdown and suffering post-traumatic stress disorder and being oh, yeah. discharged from the police force. There's your best hero saved two lives, and that's how he was treated. But and, Ken Maroney, the put, commissioner, put, those put it other right. Ones on, in that position themselves, and would they have done that same position? No. Would they have done that same thing? They would have probably just walked off that train, asking for backup or whatever else. But that's right. No, it would have been. Well, yeah. Uh, what a, yeah it, Look, you know, you make that decision. Do you put yourself yeah. in harm's way? Well, you, you swear an allegiance well, to the Queen of, the of, of England the that you'll force, protect. Yeah, yeah. You, the oath of the police force is you will protect. And, serve and, protect. and Yep, serve and protect. That's the American one. We're, yeah. we're more of we will protect um, and, and lose your life to protect that of a civilian. Yeah. You swear to that. And um, the old Crimes Act, which has been rescinded now for Lepra, the old Crimes Act, yeah, one of the subsections in it was that, uh, you know, you if you did didn't do that, you could be charged with neglect of duty and you would go to jail. Wow. Right? And he was an old school cop, so yeah. he's still on the old crimes act. But he went in, he saved the lives of those kids. There was no other way that could have been dealt with yeah. because they would have been killed. You know, yeah. they, they were they were jumping, and it's no exaggeration, Rich. Yeah. They were jumping from the top of the seat onto them on the floor when they were knocked out, laying on the floor onto their heads and <sighs> kicking into them, and you know it was just That's abhorrent behaviour. Yeah. You know, and uh, and they and rightfully so, most of them went to jail for it. And then there was this blow up by the media about, oh, the, you know, they've gone after all of the the um, uh, writers on the day, but they haven't gone after the perpetrators that kicked this whole thing off. But yeah. that was, that was again, miscommunication. They, everyone that was bad behaving all yeah. went to jail for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, media, media have a... Some. Some media, some. and I'll tell you what, they've got some, they're, they're special people, some of them, but... Some. And then they do good things like, you know, the, what's just recently happened in Sydney with the recent case of um, the uh, Chris Dawson matter. You know, you've mm. got Hedley Thomas there he's and Ben Fordham that have gone and put together this incredible podcast yeah. and, and oh, reopened yeah, the case yeah, and got a conviction, yeah. you know. And, yeah, that, and, you know, you, you can talk about it um, carefully. You've got yeah. to be careful what you say. It'll probably go to an appeal. But certainly things don't add up in a no. story. And if you give an alibi, and this is a policing perspective, if you yeah, give an yeah, alibi yeah. and it's got holes all in it, yep. 
and a judge sits there and looks at it and says, yeah. hang on a minute, here's a married woman with two, two children, yeah. loving them right up to the day she leaves, yeah. disappears off the face of the earth but still talks to the partner yeah. for eight weeks after his words, his yeah. submission and his alibi, but doesn't talk to a mother. Yeah. No judge is going to understand that. No, He's no. going to go, there's something wrong here. Yeah. And, of course, um, it, it stood out yeah, that yeah. he was telling it's tips. A, it's, ama- it's amazing that... Like then, things simpler like the podcast and- The podcast kicked that off. That's, you know, that's, it's a rich life could hey? lead to solving some big what crime one day. What the rich life projects yeah, come up with? Who, yeah. what, sol- <laughs> what mysteries do we have to solve? The brain mystery, that's all I'm, no. I'm, I'm sort of wanting to- uh, Doing a wonderful to, thing. Oh, man, I just want to uh, try and get into people's mindsets and, and just their journeys in general. But So you've got the police force. What, what year you retire of the police force? Okay, so uh, 1985 started right through to 93 okay. and then uh, took- without pay and resigned basically to yeah. go and chase the triathlon dream. Yeah, still and, carried uh, on with the triathlon stuff. Yeah, yeah and beautiful. I still had the electrical business, which had, dad had retired and yeah. he was full-time with us in that business. So we had all my sporting mates working in my, oh, my business, yeah, yeah. the great Clayton Stevenson, Olympic cyclist, uh, yep. Andrew Lloyd, the runner. All these guys came and worked in our business. <laughs> so there was a fallback for us all yeah. so we could go off. I could go overseas for three, four weeks and do races in Namia and Vanuatu and Guam and those and places. Yeah, it didn't matter. And if I come home, I didn't get any prize money yeah, or yeah. didn't get any incentive monies or Fosters had pulled the pin on me. Yep. Um, I could always have that. So, But it wasn't really till about 98 I got back to business work. Yep. And then police force um, were doing this massive recruitment drive in the, the early millennia after the Olympics. Yep. And I was looking, I got asked to um, look at team leaders job in ASIO because um, a lot of uh, security had happened after September 11. They were looking for team leaders. Uh, so I got asked to do that and I put in an application. At the same time, I called for a reference from one of my old um, inspectors and he rang me, said, you're an idiot, come back to the cops. Yeah. That's how I came back. His name's really, Stephen yeah. O'Grady. He does a hell of a lot for the um, disabled Olympians and okay. he's massive, this guy. And yeah. he said, come back and you can help us with leader and all these other things, you know. So sure enough, um, we made some phone calls and uh, and you strike up your own deal on your yeah. return with your super and whatever. And uh, so I, I was very lucky. They looked after everything yeah. again and pretty much gave me everything back that I had left with. Well, that's, um, that's and then amazing. six months later, I was in the promotional game and yeah. became a sergeant uh, probably a year and a half after that. And then um, – uh, there was a really bad job in uh, around 2006. Yeah. Uh, I went to it. It was a boat accident. Didn't make the media, this one, but no. it was worse than the one in Sydney a month later. We had two boats hit each other, seven people ejected into the water and one and two killed in another. And um, and it was a, just a disastrous job. And st- old stupid here, me, mm. I'm down at Cronulla and they're having an argument on the radio about whether uh, who will go to this job. And because of one side of the river's looking at it and the other side's not, it's gone to the wrong suburb uh, station really? and all yeah, this. Right. Yeah. So I, oh, I used God. to water ski down there with mates when we were yeah, on night yeah. shifts, we'd go water skiing wow. in the day. And I knew everything in that uh, whole area there at Kangaroo Point ended up in this one spot. So I jump in the car and go there and I'm there. I'm yeah. first off and I'm there and, oh. and a 20 minute drive, but I was still first there. And yeah. these these people, anyway, the water police had gone and picked up a one boat and they were out and they were bringing it over and I'm coordinating the whole thing. Anyway, the outcome of that was uh, probably some months later, I became very unwell from it. Yeah. Okay. 
And I think it was a whole, uh, whole combination of um, living a James Bond lifestyle in the cops where I was chasing crooks all the time. I mean, some of the foot pursuits were horrendous. We nearly got run over by train with high speed stuff. You know, we got shot at. We, uh, you know, ended up in a big pursuit and got run over yeah. and then shoot out and my gun broke and didn't work and I got run over oh, again and God. just endless stuff, right? And, and it just has an impact you just, on you. You. Just can't, you just can't mentally do that. No. Combined with all the people that you've done um, that passed away, deceased, yep. all the car accidents, road trauma, um, then the you know the domestic violence where you go to the job and it's you know it's a murder yeah. and all those things really impact on it and all cops yeah. all cops in their first three or four years go through this yeah, they okay. see all this stuff because yeah. frontline you cannot get around out of it you've got to do three years yeah. in Melbourne's the same three years yeah. before you go to specialise. No, I do remember me old, old man was a copper back in when when we were young in Musselbrook and I think uh, Broken Hill yeah. And I think I think that's why he gave it away in the end. He told us I'm not quite sure the full story, but he told us that he turned up to this. Um, I think it was a car accident or something where two young uh, boys died, yeah. kids, yeah. and he had us at home. That's, that's right. Yeah. And he just went, "Boom, that's done for me." I, I it does. Do it changes this. your outlook yeah. when when it's very similar. The incident of trauma is similar to. Um, to your family situation or you know someone in it and the boat accident as it turned out I knew someone in that really and yeah oh yeah it's just, uh, we'd only been speaking to her only a couple of days before as part of the business with some maintenance we were doing on real estate agents wow anyway it's um it, it knocks you about, and it was the end and, and look Pete Brock passed away there was a whole lot of things going on in my life as well um yep. Uh, you know, from the motorsport background and, and knowing Bev and all that yeah. sort of stuff as my old school teacher, everything was impacting and it, it was endless. And uh, anyway, I, I hung in there yeah. and I went and uh, was referred and went and saw the psychiatrist and started all the coping therapies and techniques. And then uh, something that was a little bit more unique for me, I was able to um, use sport and exercise as one of the number one keys to say, that, mental that fitness. Be, that can be such incredible a, um, to balance it. I have a really bad day, yeah. and I and I look, I you know, I haven't been a good father. Or it's affected my family and my uh, married life because yeah. you become difficult at home. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even know. I mean, no, no. If you go mad, you yeah. don't know you're mad, right? No, that's and right, everyone's that's looking right. at you saying, "Look at that mad bloke over there." And you but think, you don't know you're yeah, mad. You're, the, you're mad. That, I'm right? not mad. That's right. So yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder is not so much um, like a body bipolar or a um an incident of of uh, mental health it's more of an injury yeah. and it is very manageable yeah. um unfortunately it's leading to a hell of a lot of self-harm and suicide, suicide in the pl- yeah. in, in law enforcement around australia at the moment okay. just in the last number of weeks in new south wales alone i think we've lost four really you know, by the hand of their own firearm or wow. or there was one incident I, i'm aware of up at um up at the freeway where the off- young officer just decided he'd had enough with everything. Things had gone wrong. We won't yeah. go into the detail, but he walks straight out in front of a semi. Oh, and man. and this is all related to post-traumatic stress, just like the military. Yeah. So the military go away and, and uh, with the ultimate respect, they go away and they do a sortie and they see bad things and they yeah. come home and they're dealing with it and it's really hard on them. And, I, and you know, we're so lucky we've got great yeah. military people here, but police doing it every day here at home. Similar stuff, yeah, not yeah. not so much war zone stuff, but you're going to the bad car accident. You're going to watch people burn in a car. It's, 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 it's all there. negative, isn't it? It's, it is. It's really all. That's that's the hardest bit that I thought when I was going to apply for a, uh, to be a police officer, and and luckily they didn't accept me. But um, might just, have been a blessing in disguise. Yeah, mate. I think so because I mean I, I I deal with my own stuff, and and as you say, exercise. That's how I get through things with my, you know, mental health all the time. I just go, you know, go for a run, go for a gym session or yep, something. But it. it's, a, it's a police force, 
or ambulance. There's nothing real positive in it, is it? No, There's, it isn't. And it's, it's hard it's, to it's comprehend a, from an outsider. Yeah. Because- well, This is why we do charity work. That's yeah, why yeah. Uh, philanthropy is huge in the first responders. They have, you know, um, so much fundraising going on. They're always yeah. doing charity things. There's everything's about even their own little local soccer team yeah, might go yeah, and raise yeah. money, right? There's there's this big push for it to give back. You, you've already given everything to your job, but you want to give back. And I think it's a coping technique. We all use it. We use the fundraisers and all that to yeah. to get drive and a sense of self-worth. Yeah, that, you know, yeah it's, it's self-worth. But you look at me now and you you look at me, I'm 60, but I don't look 60. I'm fit and healthy well, right on the outside. I was going to say 40, but oh, if you're you. saying 60, no, I'll, yeah. I'll marry you. <laughs> so on the outside, the point I'm making on the yeah. outside, I look look fit and healthy and yep. happy, right? Yep. But what's inside, and I'll describe, but we, yeah. let's be raw, over in the right-hand side of my head here right now is a little baby yep. that died in front of me at a cot death. Yeah, and it's yeah. sitting there, and I cannot yep. get it out of my head, yeah, yeah. no matter where I am. So when I go to sleep, I have my psychiatrist got me through this coping program to go to sleep to get all those things out of my head, yep. right? So I'm looking happy on the outside, and everyone's thinking, oh, he's fit, yeah, he's yeah. happy, and you know we're doing this stuff here in the media, and yep. I've had a great life you know, with a whole lot of stuff, yeah, yeah. but I've had – to carry these injuries in the head and the whole thing is um, you've got to try and manage it because it can get a, a, the better of you and, get and, it, and you. it does and it's very difficult. So people don't see us on the outside of what's really going on on the inside. So the Robin Williams things, you know, and yeah, yeah. look at Paul Green recently, you know, yeah. and from the Sharks perspective there, he, uh, he was a good guy but yeah. no one has any idea yeah. and everything looks good. So there mustn't be anything wrong. Yeah, no one asks right? that question. No one's asking that question. And so the people who look the best and are really look like everything's going right, they're the ones you've really got to ask, mate, are you really okay? Yeah. Okay. And if really... you ask me, I'd sit here now yeah. and we could spend another two hours yeah. and I could tell you how bad things can yeah, be yeah, no, could, and, and stuff, you know. You know? And it, it's in there, but you just try and mask it and try and deal with it. Talk to your mates about it. The cops are really good like that with the yeah. mates, the yeah. retired guys. Yeah, okay. So look, it's, we, it's really yeah. everyday, everyday battle, isn't it? It is. It's, it is. Like, it's like, I mean, you say athletes say battle, but that's they're doing a sport, they're doing something they love and it's a positive thing. Yeah. But coming from the background like you, and and I'm the same. I'll I'll be truthful and say like every day, from from certain incidents in my life, every day is just a battle. It's just like you get up and you might be happy, you might be you know lovable here, there, there. But there's always that that thing that you go, okay, I've got to battle through this day. And that's why when when I hear people talk yeah. conversations, they go, oh, you know, I can't wait for five years, and I have the house, and I have the cars, and all the money, and I'm thinking. Man, I, I would not even be able to think five years ahead. Yeah. Like me, it's a battle every, every single day, day yep. just to live life in a positive way as best I can. Yeah. You wake up every morning, you've got to make a decision what to do to be positive, right? And and this is me- this mental fitness thing, and it's right across the, the spectrum. Um, women seem to deal with it better. They have the empathy side of things much well, they, better they, worked they out. They say they just like, chat to each other. Yeah, Obviously, and they, they talk do. about a lot of different things. Yeah, how about you and me too, probably, mate, how champion bikes we are. <laughs> but uh, but certainly, look, um, the, the men don't deal with it right and – you know, we, they have all the things in place, which is good. Yeah. You know, the lifelines and call people and anyone listening to this, you know, if you are struggling, you know where to call. But there's something missing where 
that decision gets made and it, the mind's not going to be changed yeah. and no one knows. Yeah. And um, and that's what everyone's working out at the moment. You know, we're trying to find out, you know, what what is making that yeah. decision because they don't tell anyone. No, no. You know, people, people, people openly say, oh, I'm going to go and kill myself, right? Yeah, and yeah, a yeah. really bad thing. And sometimes that may be the case, but a lot of that's attention. The, the probably out of the 20 mates that I've lost, yeah. and that's how many I've lost yeah. over the years, and not from and not from cops, but from various Just, different walks of life. Yeah. The least expected ones um, that I've lost have uh, right back to about 85 was the first one. He was broken hearted, but we had no idea. Yeah. No idea. And there was no indication, no note, nothing left. And the next thing you get the phone call the next day, or they're missing and you go down there and then they are, you know, and uh, it's, it's, just begs belief that they have had the courage to go and do something that's, like yeah. that and make that decision and not talk to someone. Yeah, that's, that's what I always think when you hear stories of, of the, the Greens and, and other people who take their lives and you think, where, where do they get to that point? You know, because obviously they've got children and all they've got, you know, family members and, and obviously they're not in the mind, the mind frame to deal with all that because obviously if you think about your children, your wife, oh, why would I want to yeah. kill myself when yeah, I've got perfect. all these beautiful people? So, in a in your mind, I just I still fathom as as much as I battle and you battle each day. Where, where do you know where do they get to that point? Is mm. it's it's probably it's undescribable because no one else knows but them. Burden probably is yeah, one word that comes to mind that. Um, you know, there you've got Paul Green, two beautiful children. Yeah. And he just had a birthday the day before. Day before Everything's like, going good. And my, like mates from Sharks, like Andrew Eddinghausen's had organised a boat trip with him that weekend to come up there and do a filming for E.T.'s think, fishing um, show. And, you know, there was others that had all organised stuff with him. So there was nothing to indicate. And he's got this beautiful family. And the thing is, you know, you're contemplating taking your own life, but you're going to cause so much damage to these people. But, but you, not, you're not, not thinking, thinking that, like that. No. And they, and from what I can gather from some of the mates that have survived it, yeah. what I've talked to them about, and, and probably me personally, yeah. when you've had bad thoughts, it's probably you think you're a burden on everyone and no one cares about you anymore and I just don't want to be that burden anymore. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. I guess it's like... um. You're in a different state of mind, yep. you know, because it's not you, it's not what you represent. Yeah, yeah. You've got this other mind. I, I, look, I have three minds in my head. Yeah, yeah. So I have to deal with. So what I do is have the, there's a good bear over there, which is Glenn doing all the fun things yeah, and, and yep. doing lots of stuff. Yep. Then I have the nightmares yeah, part yeah. that I've got to wake up every morning after having them. Yep. And then I've got this thing I call my place. Yep. And what I'm trying to do is when I have a little power nap, I'm back. Because I'm retired, I'm back yeah. doing uh, athletics like yeah. it was uh, professional. So I get, I go back to sleep in the morning, <laughs> but I won't even know it's coming. I'll nod off in front of the TV yeah. while I'm supposed to be going out and doing stuff. I'll just fall asleep, and then, but I'll try and think of what I was. Um, dreaming about when I did and it's always good Yeah. so after I go out and do a ride session with my mates at 6 o'clock in the morning come back and make brekkie turn the news on or whatever or the, yeah. uh, turn on Rush now and watch all the car resto shows yeah. and uh, I sit there and I fall asleep and yeah. then I wake up and go oh, shit I'm in my other place there what was that about and I try to focus on that Okay. Yeah. and that takes you know so there's things in there from good memories yep. that come out but the nightmare one if I wake up after a good night's sleep and I've had the bad nightmares yeah. I've been sleep deprived or not I'm angry and grumpy yeah. Yeah, right and so on. And then there's a good one where we're doing the things with Rich Fogarty walking 150 oh, really? K oh, and all that mate. stuff, right? So and that's that's yeah, that's that's those, those, those three things. minds can arrive at any different time and I have yeah. no control over over it, but I try and focus on the, the good 
one. Yeah, yeah. And and then the other stuff just yeah. sort of falls into play, I guess. Yeah. So the, so mentally wise, as I say, what you deal with, and this gets back to because the charity work that you mentioned gives you that sort of drive and purpose and everything else, and you've done some insane, well, to me, insane things, but then <laughs> some incredible things as well. So some of the the charity. Um, Efforts you've done, obviously with McGrath Foundation, you're big on the McGrath Foundation. Yeah. Uh, our friend up in Newcastle, Mark Hughes Foundation, yep. uh, and the big three, yeah. Luke, Luke and Incredible the crew. People. Oh, mate. Luke, Luke and Ella, mate, aren't they? Luke, for the listeners, Luke, Luke and Ella Alexander, yeah. two young, very young people, yeah. putting together a bunch of 45 either former washed-up sports stars yeah. or celebrities and whatever. <laughs> who who and needs a couple some of current, motivation and goals. Who needs motivation and bringing a couple of young, young uh, sports stars and yeah. All up, they do a wonderful job. These yeah, couple, oh, and, and they give so much time, and they've raised probably millions now. Yeah, yeah. In all the years they've yeah. been doing it, and to do that, and they hold down full time jobs, hundred percent. You know, and, so and incredible. And going going back to that Sydney Newcastle when I first, that's how I sort of come across you. Well, and let, let me tell you the truth. Yeah, I saw you over, and I thought I know that bloke's head. And then you <laughs> come over and said hello. I smiled at you, and you come over, and I said, "You said I'm Rich Fogarty," and I went, "You're Rich Fogarty," because I knew about you. Okay. I knew about you from your boxing and MMA fighting because to follow it a fair bit. Oh, okay, yeah, know? right. And then, you know, and it's a big story and, you know, you're very humble, especially with what you've been through, mate, and how you grew up and I know your story. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And what you grew up with and all of that and then to put it all behind you and deal with life now, this is now, yeah, that yeah. was then. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's one of the best therapies, yeah. right? This yeah, is, yeah, This is now and that's that's then and you've got to operate like that. Yeah. To, to meet you was an absolute honour and yeah. I'm like, wow, this is a guy that I idolise. It's Rich Fogarty. Yeah, yeah, you know? well, I see. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, so. I was just blase because I was just trying to meet everyone in there yeah. and and as I say, like my own battles, I just do my own battles myself and just getting through them. But to come across like yourself and what you've done in your past and then, then I start to go, wow, it's an honour to meet this dude. He's such humble. But not only that, is he insane from walking <laughs> from Cronulla to Newcastle in motorbike gear. Yeah, well. You know, you've got the motorbike <laughs> boots, you've got the helmet, you've got the full leather gear. And this is what I say when after it all finished and everyone and I was telling the story about you with your motorbike gear and I'm like, Mate, this dude was walking. He was up in front of me. He had <laughs> motorbike boots on, carrying a helmet. I'm struggling mentally and physically, and this this guy's just up there like it's it's no no problem at all. I'm like, I have to get past no you. I have all. to get past this. But dude. it motivates but, you here. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But I think you know it. when you're doing those sort of stuff. And you've done that a few times, Sydney to Canberra in a full motorbike gear. That was running in it too, not walking. Running in it, we yeah, we wow. Jogged in it. We jogged in the same kit, same kit. But kit when you get saw. to that, as you say, this this is where it fascinates me because you you do this in, in the motorbike gear, you know the pain your body's going to go through because you've already been there mentally and battling what you battle every day, as you say, in your mind, this is sort of a... Am I am I correct in saying this is a bit of a a, a release? Oh, not so much a relief. A I'm, not, I'm trying to find the words where it's sort of more of a more of a fun thing to do to take your mind off everything else that's gone because you know what the pain you're going to go through with wearing that sort of gear and running from somewhere like Sydney to Canberra or walking from Sydney to Newcastle is it where you put those battles to the side a little bit and be happy just to deal with the pain because. 
<laughs> You're doing something else? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, no, yeah, it's not. No, you've nailed it. It's, um, look, it, it, people have asked me over many, many years because we, we've done a lot of different things with endurance. Yeah, yeah. You know, endurance. And the whole um, look, the whole reason, you know, the old the old story, and you've probably been subject to it, and a lot of sports people are, you know, oh, look at the self-promoters, right? We're yeah. all out there self-promoting ourselves. Well, I can assure you that yeah. everything that we've done and I know you've done and, and a lot of my sports mates um, have never, ever been paid for it. Yeah. We do it because we want to brand sell the charity. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So definitely. it's about getting that charity out there and awareness of what its key goals are. Yeah. Okay. Because you're helping these people that are doing it way, way yeah, tougher yeah. than you or yeah, me, yeah, mate. Yeah, You've been definitely. kicked in the head. I've been punched in the head. Yeah. I've broken down, completely broken down during sporting events. You've yeah. done the same with your knees. Um, but what these people, these charities represent. Yeah, you know, look at Ella, the, the, the Ellie Passamo yeah. and, um, and well, those, Grace yeah, and all those yeah, and yeah, kids all, and you know, all said, those. There was a what really hit me hard uh, and made me emotional with that um, charity, the Mark Hughes Foundation, was Sam Sam Bates' Sam story Bates, yeah. and his sister, yep. and losing their father. And because I've got two children, I'm thinking, wow, like that really hit me when we're walking yep. from Sydney to Newcastle. Because I, and I even said that I think the same when we finished because I had my daughter there. I was like, just, you know, knowing that you guys have lost your father and he will never walk you down the aisle, but he's never got that connection back with him because he's gone. Yeah. Like yeah, that, that was a story that really hit me. Yeah, kids and, that lose their parents. Yeah, um, especially know, like- At young ages. Young girls. Li- li- yeah, they- You know, and 18, 19, yeah, because I've got- on their life, 18 mate. and 19, and I've always said, you know, you know, I've lived a pretty crazy life. So if I was to go, if God calls me whenever- so be it, I've lived a crazy life. The only really thing I would be sad about is not being able to see my children actually grow into adults. Yep. That would be probably, if I had to pick one sadness, that would be the sadness, not seeing my uh, young man and my young daughter grow to be adults. Yep. If I do get that opportunity... So, so be it, but... Well, you're blessed if you do. 100%, um, Because 100%. so much can take you away from that, you know, not only illness, but divorce, um, you know, changing lifestyles, uh, yeah. financial circumstances. So many things can impact on that situation. But, but even you're the crew that there, You're not getting there to do it, you yeah. know. So even the crew that were walking with us, and not so much, even not, not so much Sam and, and his sister, but there was a couple there that actually had the brain cancer. Yeah, there was uh, Cass... Had the brain cancer, yep. and she just had the operation. Ellie, she'd uh, she'd lost her eyesight. Had come that's back, right, thank that's God. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and look, that, that's, that's that, they were on the actual tough, three day walk, and know? that's why I'm thinking, that's, mate, that's man, hard I, for you. We're in our gear, why and I'm not, I should yep. not be complaining. Like, that's even right. though mentally I was, I was going, man, this is yeah. a long way. My legs are killing me, and everything yeah. else. But next level, those people, mate, hundred percent. Like level. the 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 level of mindset on on Ellie and. And that was just... They're full of life. They're happy. I know, there was they like, got the there was... worst circumstances thrown at them. Yep. Thrown at them. You, you, do you know, there's a bloke named Jay Allen. I don't know if you know Jay. No. Jay was on a show in Sydney called RPA. He had stage four melanoma, gone, truck driver. Yep. Got it from Sunbeds. Same yeah, thing. really, right? yeah. Yep. And he's now the ambassador for Melanoma Australia, and he's yep. beaten cancer three times, I think it wow. is. He's a mate of mine. Yep. And um, he... He had every possible card thrown at him as a young man with young, very young kids and newlywed and young kids. He was in a world of hurt. And anyway, he went on a campaign, got rid of all the sunbeds. That's a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And then he marches and he walk, he's walked all around Australia, yeah. right? He's next level, this guy. And then he got diagnosed with throat cancer um, last year. And, and again, I think it was stage four, but he's beaten it again, right? Wow. This guy is next level. 
and he's always happy. Yeah. And I, I always, when I'm having a bad day, I think about shit Jay and I think about Nathan and I think about Ellie. They are just next level, Rich. Yeah. Totally next level. And how they can be so resilient is an inspiration to me. So when I'm having a bad day, I take myself there and say, you know what, you need an uppercut, mate. Yeah. And um, these people have done so bad yet they're not complaining. And did you notice that none of them complained? No, none of them. None of them were whinging. At, you know, there's a lot of few of us all yeah, having a little yeah, whinge about a little the, blister oh, on the yeah, pinky. Yeah, doing me, oh, yep. me leg, me knee. <laughs> they never once. <laughs> no, they never like, once. They were happy the whole yeah. time. Happy the whole yeah, time. Yeah, no, that was, was amazing experience. Uh, on that Sydney to uh, Newcastle, and I'll, I'll to be honest, I'll, I was busted up after it, but I still wouldn't uh, I wouldn't take it back. It was, it was amazing, and oh, and yeah. again, some of the other New South Wales police legacies, New South Wales prostate cancer MND, that some of the charities kind of you've it. done, uh, just some amazing. I mean, we Made could, sandless. We could talk we, another we could whole podcast. Here, we it, could sit but, here for for you know for hours, which we we, we should anyway. But, no, but look at look, the charity work is about giving back. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I've I've had a very privileged life. I've had good upbringing, good family life. I've lost a lot of people along the way yeah. through cancers and whatever. Yeah. But I've been very fortunate and and privileged to you know live a rich life. Yeah, and. And and it's still going, and I've still got I've got lifelong friends. We're all still having fun. Yeah, and it's important. But these best way to say thank you is give back to these charities. Yeah, that, yeah. that's my take on it. And look, if I do something um, stupid to wear a trail bike outfit or <laughs> or dress up, whatever it is, and I and a good look, the days are pretty much over for it. But um, I'll still do the charity work, and we'll do the walks. Uh, one particular. You, you got to laugh. One person that was on that walk said, "When we do the next one yeah. Yeah, for the McGrath Foundation in uh, January, um, can you not wear anything? Just wear running shoes because my anxiety levels can't deal with that anymore." Right? <laughs> that's Tommy Burgess's wife, oh, yeah. Talia, right? Yeah, Talia, yeah. Talia Burgess. And anyway, she uh, she sent me a message having a bit of a laugh about that, and so sort of brings home a bit because I don't yeah. do it to stir anyone up. No, I don't, no, it's no. not a shot at anyone that you're. Oh, weak I, I honestly thought I it was just, just a, a bit of a, a more because you you know you've been to the to the top levels of yep. of your sport, your profession, everything else. So really to then challenge yourself and keep that motivation alive and that spark and fire alive is sometimes you go, well, I'm going to do – and I've done I've done two 80-kilometre runs just to, just for the sake of give me something to do and yep. give my brain something to actually do. That's how I sort of took it as go – like he's walking in that because his mindset's here and everyone else's is here – but he wants his mindset and he wants a bit of motivation and a bit of a challenge to be here. Yep. And that's how I sort of took it. But as exactly. I said, like- Two things it is. It's about uh, up the ante to challenge myself yeah, yeah. because I like a good challenge. I like – that's why I talk to- – took up triathlons. So I yeah. could have gone to other sports a lot easier than that, but that's the ultimate challenges yep. in those things. Yep. So it's, you know, so doing things that are harder than normal, yep. trying to just up the ante and if I fail, so be it. But the other thing is it's to raise that awareness for the brand of 100%. the charity, yep. right? So if we can do something that just pulls a little bit of media focus on this, yep. then we're, we're there for that, right? Massive, you know, And I, had, I wanted to be really careful with the Mark Hughes Foundation because the focus is on those people that are suffering the illness yeah. and we can't take away from that. But certainly, um, lifting the group and mo- motivating—you probably saw on the day two we marched in with um, old crazy Rob doing the trumpet at the end yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was just having a bit of fun yeah, and yeah. trying to lift it all. And so it's all about that. It's all about you know the hundred percent is focused on getting that charity yeah. out there and giving what we can to that charity in any way possible, whether it's one dollar or it's a you know, yeah, you yeah, know a phone call from a bloke like yourself to go and do a podcast every, to talk every, about a charity. Every, every single giving thing helps, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. What uh, so you know when we're sort of going to that? What, what's the best advice you've got 
you know, whether it's sports people, police officers, whatever, uh, for young people coming up these days, what, you know, coming from oh when we talk about the old bulls and the young bulls, yeah. what what sort of uh, advice would you have for uh, give to someone? I always think back to when I was young because, you know, we were all cocky yeah, and we yeah. all thought we knew everything and then there'd be the old tradie or the old bloke or your father or your father's mate or your uncle. They'd be, yeah. give you a, a really good really, really good uh, bit of advice or a kick up the backside for being too cocky. That's right. So the young people, please listen to experience. Yep. Yeah. Good listen point, to good experience point. and investigate experience. Yeah. Because yeah. history, there's nothing new at the moment. Yeah. History's just repeating itself. Yeah. But if you want to prepare for it, yeah. find out off grandpa and grandma yeah. what was going on 100 years ago or 80 years ago, right? Yeah. 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 And you'll point, find out point. that what you're seeing now is actually happened before, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you'd better prepared for it. 100%. You, that's, so that's, that's listen to experience. Yep. That's probably, you know, live yeah. life large. Yeah, so make yeah. every moment count because you mightn't wake up tomorrow. Yep. That's really important. Um, you know, and if you've got, uh, if you've got hurdles put in front of you, just overcome them yeah, the best yeah. way you can. There's a, we talk about it before, Rich, um, you know, there's a thing about, uh, you know, you've got to try and be like a, a one of your idols, all that, yeah. you know, and it's that's a misconception. If you want to be good at something, be better than be, that person. Be so better, if you want to be yeah. the best boxer in the country, be yeah. better than all of our boxers that have come through. That's right. That's if right. you want to be the best runner, you've got to be, you know, look at Ollie yeah. Hoare at the moment. Yeah. You, you've got to be better than all before you. That's how you get the respect. That's, that, that's how the progress. Yep. It's good to model the ethics yeah, of yeah. these people. Yep. Like, all right, so let's pick one of the guy that's really, you know, stands out in the world as a really, really cool guy. You'd look at, say, someone like Glenn McGrath. Yeah, you yeah. know Ricky Ponting, those yep. guys that have achieved yep. really good guys. Yeah, but what they've done, what it's done. That's right. And, and oh, Warney, you know, God love yeah, his soul, yeah. Warney, like um, you know, one of the best blokes you'd ever meet. Hundred percent. I'll tell you a little story about him in a minute. Yeah. But it, um, you, you don't want to be like Warney. You want to be better than yeah, Warney right. again, you know, that's and right. achieve the more spin. And that's yeah, that's man, it. He's... So that's my advice to young people. Yeah, yeah, so, no. You know, obviously take a look <laughs> at their book. And what but, was what was probably your best advice you received? Oh, it's always from dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's no good, son. Yeah, yeah. If you no don't good, score son. that try, yeah. I'm going to kick you in the bum when you yeah. get off. Yeah. That, that was pretty uh, much ours. Mark, son, uh, Mark, the great Mark Allen <laughs> at Greg Welsh's wedding in 1993 is probably the best advice I ever got. And yeah. again, we come back to that 902 Ironman, two minutes. You know, what have I got to do to get to eight hours? And, you know, we're trying to get into the professional ranks and yep. at, at that stage. and. I've got to go eight hours. Anyway, I was over at Greg's wedding and I happened to be on Mark's table yeah, and yeah. I just said to Mark, God, I've got to ask you one question, man. We're not here to talk triathlon, but yeah. Mark, how do you do eight, oh, six and a nine, man? He says, get on the cola, Glenn. He's American, you know, yeah. do the American access best again. Get on the caller and, and I've got this other product. It's, uh, it's Ensure Plus in your country. It's Exceed supplement over here and I have two cans of that and righto and gave me a bit more advice on yeah. that so and cut your training down that was Mark's advice yeah so really, okay. really good advice so I came back after that wedding yep. and three months later went 850 wow. uh, and and on the cola so, he said I didn't believe him about the cola because yeah. we used cola when you were gone yeah okay and he's saying no get on it before you busted it's yeah. flat cola it's just sugar syrup you could have sugar yeah, you yeah know, sugar yeah. cubes whatever yeah um and what it does, your body's all out of carbohydrates and muscles are all depleted. So you're now running it on yeah, fuel, okay, which is well, raw sugar, like yeah. the glucose at yeah, half-time yeah. tablet in footy. Anyway, so uh, I, I said, I'm not real sure about that. He said, well, if you don't believe me, grab the next triathlon American magazine yep. and have a look at me. I'm covered in brown. 
Wow. So I went and had a look, and there I was. He was brown. Yeah. Mark Allen was completely brown down the front of his singlet. Yeah. In okay. the, the and it was the year in '89 that he won. He finally beat Dave Scott after seven goes at it, and wow. he got on the collar and he ran away from him. You know, he just when Dave fawned it, he was still going. And so I came back and. I got on the collar halfway on the bike, like Mark said, and I yeah. stayed on the collar yeah. as the 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 sports drink, right? And yeah. and the difference, I negative splitted the bike. I yeah. went faster in the second lap, and I ran better than I'd ever run before. Wow! And I was on less training. I was doing a heap of sailing with a mate, a late mate of mine, Andrew Short. Yeah. So we were carrying a fair bit of upper body weight um, because yeah. of the grinding on the on yeah. these maxi yachts. This is another whole thing we were doing. We yeah. were on maxi yachts sailing around <laughs> around the country on with a bunch of athletes to try and win big races. Yeah, you know. wow. but that was it. So that was, that was, that was good advice, Mark valuable, Allen. Valuable, you know? valuable advice. And, and now to the youngies, you know, they, they all went on to these nutritional programs, and they're on the energy gels and all these different things, and they're yeah. good. Yeah, they're good, and they all help. But uh, I noticed that the first time that they went under eight hours in Hawaii just yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, on the back of that particular athlete's yeah. bike, as he rode out of the bike area with two bottles of six hundred mil cola, flat colas wow. on the in the bike, and you can see it as he rides out. Well, right, and then he comes back and smashes everyone, yep. and goes because with there wasn't much of an improvement in the time over there yeah. for the last twenty years. Alan's record never got broken, and it just hung on and hung on. They right. make a minute here and a minute yeah, there, yeah. but this guy comes on and gets on the cola and goes twenty minutes quicker than everybody, and does seven hours and forty minutes. So he's obviously got uh, Mark Allen might have got on him, Mark's maybe, advice. But it was, yeah, it was hilarious. Here he is with all the modern technology. And that those times, if we stuck to that Mark Allen plan of nutrition, yep. those times should have come down because of the bike technology increases, yeah, right? Yeah. Because Mark was on the old heavy bike. Yeah, yeah. These guys were on the light bike. They've yeah. gone from riding, Mark was riding about 430, 425, 430, yeah. to these guys are riding 410. Yeah. So this is your 20 minutes. Wow. But they're, they're not capitalizing on it because no. they're falling apart in their own, right? So this guy, ben, I think it's Bernard Langer, his name is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Langer, he, he smashed it. Or Sanders, Lionel Sanders it is. Sanders and he was the one that was on the collar and he cracked the world record and everything. Wow. Uh, could be wrong. I haven't spoken to him yeah, about it, but I'm only making observations. That, that cola, even cola. though we're not sponsored by cola, but uh, yeah. that's a good- I didn't say the first word in front of it. Yeah, so yeah, just that's cola. it. That's it. Just get on cola. <laughs> so at the end of, before we uh, finish up, and uh, what, what's what's Glenn Garrick, Glenn Garrick's- rich life these days like what what really as you say gives gives you purpose but makes you happy and and what what is your rich life well, i'm getting older mate 60 so um the rich life is still being privileged enough to still do a triathlon at yeah. a decent level yeah in and winning my age group still um, but uh, it makes it hard because there's some guys that are so competitive. Yeah. As they get older they come back into it they, you know they're all retiring yeah. so then they're getting the rest and recovery yeah, right. in place because you go like I'm doing at the moment. But um, restoring an old car, you yeah. know, it's nothing better than fixing something that's broken. Yeah. Uh, that I, I call that, that's a rich part of life. And there's a couple of mates I do that with. There's yeah. a guy up in Sydney named Craig O'Sullivan, another one, Bob Zalesco. And you know, Bob is an army warrant officer, in now a businessman. Yeah. And, and he's got old Tiranas. And then Craig's the same. And they use this the uh, restoring of cars for their mental health, I can tell. Yeah, right. We, yeah. So we're all mates great, and we're all, we, we, fly, we flew to New Zealand a couple of weeks ago yeah. down to Perth, just buying cars and old bits and pieces and fixing up old cars. I'm doing a lot of the car racing again, I was doing as a young man. I, oh, you know, yeah. We didn't back touch on that, that, but back into the car racing on and off. Yep. And um, it's funny, we found a, a, a Tirana, an XU1 Tirana up on a farm just next to the racetrack at Maroolan and, and we've 
I've restored that. Yeah, yeah and, okay. You know, it, it's, cool. it was dead, dead and buried, full of <laughs> rust, and it's now brand new. Wow. You know, so to get it to that level, um, that, that stuff's that's good. A, that's a bit, yeah, a bit yeah. of – On the sidelines being divorced, um, I watch my kids yeah, yeah. from a sideline, you yeah. know, because it's a bit estranged from all of that. But yep. we keep a watchful eye on things where we can. And, yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and they've turned out all right. As you Beautiful. said, you want them to turn out all right. Oh, you know, you worry, you worry because there's diversions in 14 through to probably yeah, yeah. 18. Yeah. You know, two daughters, you yeah. know, the, the distractions with males, yeah. um, drugs. Yeah, you know, definitely. you've got a, a bit and more and advice else. to young people. Yeah. In, drugs is just no. Yeah. And be tough and say no because it'll ruin your life yep. and you're only all you're doing is when you purchase those illegal drugs you're giving money that's tax free to mm. a person who does no contribution to society, society. they don't pay tax and yep. they build a, a school a road or a hospital yep. and it'll ruin you and your family's life forever yeah. you've got to make informed decisions you know? and if you do get hooked up in it go get help and yeah, get yeah. out of it as quick as you can yeah no, because definitely. it's a bloody mess mate you know Mate, well, it's been as I say, we could sit here talking forever, and man, I'm I'm enthralled with your life you've lived, and uh, I just want to thank you again for uh, coming on the Rich Life Projects, mate, and it's been an absolute honour to have you on the ha- have you on the podcast, and uh, man, thank you again. Oh, thank you, mate. It's an absolute honour to be here, um, and I know your background and what you do, and and, and just touching on that, that to me is also something that I admire. You know, I watch what you've done and where you are, and it's fantastic. And this, the Rich Life Project, like, what a yeah. great thing, you know. Yeah, no, you know Hop, Hoppo, he's got you covered, mate. Oh, mate, oh, Hoppo, <laughs> he's a great man. Oh, Hoppo, Hoppo for, he's got you know, life's a life's a beach, yeah, and, and yeah, it can yeah, be yeah. a bitch. That was great. He, he's doing some good ones as well. But 100%. this, these sorts of things are the key to looking after your mates, yep. um, and getting the word out there and yeah, hearing definitely. life experiences. Yeah, so no. thank you, mate. Absolutely no, humbled and honoured to be here. Pleasure, mate. Pleasure. It's uh, great times, and we got golf tomorrow. So oh, good weekend coming up. Right, what's your handicap? Um, myself. <laughs> I was going to say the same. <laughs> <laughs>